a special Saturday edition of That's What G Said For You. It's July the 2nd. Hope everyone's having a nice holiday weekend. The uh, The way that things are playing out this week, I figured let's get this uh, episode out early. We can get you a full deep dive recap and review of Miss Marvel, episode 4 with Tim Kelly. We also dive in to Star Wars, the state of Star Wars with a couple first-time guests. Trevor Hayes joins me, as does Michael Foster. We talk about the Obi-Wan Kenobi series and everything coming up in the future in Star Wars with some of the current scheduled shows and movies in the next few weeks and months. We'll talk all about that and what we liked, what we did not like about Obi-Wan. Then I'll get into some racing for Louisiana Downs for Sunday and for Monday. So we've got Star Wars, major recap of everything. Uh, That goes uh, about an hour and a half or so. The Miss Marvel deep dive with Tim Kelly. And then Sunday and Monday, full card racing for Louisiana Downs. On this episode of That's What G Said, that is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas. Make sure to give them a follow at BTV Bets on Twitter. Everything's free over at BTV. And it's just a group of handicappers, gamblers from all around the world trying to help you become a better, better. Give them a follow at BTV Bets. I host tons of live streams over there previewing all of the major events in the world of sports. Better than dot Vegas. Let's jump right into the horse racing portion of this episode. And we'll get into some Sunday and Monday racing for Louisiana Downs. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version, and even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view, and any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. 
every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com take advantage this weekend of that huge drf sale there's a fourth of july sale so all of your favorite products are discounted just head on over to drf.com check out that fourth of july sale and all the savings if you're someone like me who loves to use the drf products and you like to use past performances for your handicapping you can stack up a bunch of credit right now so you can pay for a bunch on discounted prices and if you want to use them next week, next month, or down the line, you've already had paid for them at a a cheaper cost. Now think about what's coming up next. Del Mar, Saratoga, summer racing. You're probably going to need some help with the baby races and the clocker reports. So go purchase some of those right now. Save yourself a few bucks. The big sale, 4th of July sale, this weekend at drf.com. Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Head to StableDuel.com and check out the schedule each and every day. That way you'll know how to set up your bankroll, how to plan your week and your days ahead with those big Stable Duel games. So let's dive on into Louisiana. Let's look at Sunday Louisiana Downs for July the 3rd. Let's look at race number one. Now I am going to talk as if they are on the turf on Saturday they were off the turf but it's really hard to project races if they're not on so if they're not come back and take a look at the broadcast and I'll post some some changes on Twitter on Sunday but for now let's pretend or let's not pretend let's act as if they are on the turf I'll use the uh, the one horse top 10 Duchess who had a fine start was sitting second got caught in between horses it wasn't a great spot loomed up and then got pinned in was a little bit flat late and all of that was chasing slow fractions that's the one top 10 duchess we'll use along with the three mo classy second time on the turf catching a softer spot and the five lady be gone rounding things out in race number two we've got louisiana bread phillies and mares maiden five thousand dollar claimers five and a half furlongs the distance i like the first time starter the number four gold chain her dam won the debut by 14 lengths with an 86 buyer speed figure. She was a four-time winner and multiple stakes placed. She's produced 10 foals to race. All 10 of them 
are winners. Seven multiple winners. One of them won the debut. Two of them were stakes winners. And another one was stakes placed. The barn is very good with first-time starters. 13 for their last 96. 14% with a $1.69 ROI. The two... Moody Rafaela has been second in her last two. She's been the beaten favorite in both of those. She ran well, kind of a weird race last time out to finish second. She was on the lead, then relinquished it, then came back on again late. The five-horse Satisfy You goes out for a barn that's really, really good with this type of a layoff. 20% with a 210 ROI. Let's move along to race number three. Thought this was a really difficult race. Didn't get a real strong feel and opinion here. I'll go to the six. I tell you the facts who moved inside into some traffic and then angled in between and around to close well for third. The number five, Cohere, had a wake-up win on the uh, drop-down last time out, and perhaps Cohere can uh, take to the turf. The three-horse Big Scully should be on the engine here, flashing some early speed. Six, five, three. Race 4 brings us to Maiden $10,000 Claimers. Remember, Race 4 does kick off the Pick 4, 50 center. We hit the Pick 4 on Saturday for 400 bucks on a $36 play, if you were playing along. The number 6 horse, Arkansas Zong, makes career start number 2, takes a big drop down in class, and he had a good start. He was pressing the leader, sprinting, now stretches out. I think he will be forwardly placed in here. I'm expecting a, a big step forward for Arkansas Zong on the drop down in class. The three back gate red returns to the dirt. Gets a nice setup sitting behind maybe two or three speeds in here. The five confess will put in the third spot. Six, three, five. We'll use three and six in the pick four as we move to a wide open fifth race. Non-winners of three allowance for Louisiana bred fillies and mares. They'll travel about one mile on the turf course there. I like the four, my friend, Mr. Jim. His most recent race was on the dirt. He was a winner. But on May the 30th, two starts back, that was his only turf try. He was really good that day. He had a bad start. He was 12 lengths out of it early on. He tipped to the outside with a huge sweeping move all the way up to second. He really tried hard, but was just second best that day. My friend, Mr. Jim, doesn't need to be that far back. Giving him a shot in here. The two, Cheapskate Diva, comes off of back-to-back -back victories. It's been very impressive in those. It's tough to leave her out of exotics. The one, Kenya Strike, second start off the bench. Win two and two, tur two good turf races to look at. So I'll be using 4-2-1 in all exotics. The six horse, if you wanted to go a little deeper, Darling Joanna was a, a winner last time out. She's won two of her three starts. She's probably another one that's pretty tough to leave out of exotics. And the three, Tin Can Dance, will try turf once again. We'll see if she can improve off of that turf debut. Moving to race number six, it's a first level allowance. Six furlongs, the distance. I thought the number seven, Golden Passage, should sit a really nice trip in here. He had some sneaky trouble last time out. He drew the rail. He was close up. He was just behind the top four, but he had nowhere to go. He had to take up, shuffle back. He lost the length. He came on again into traffic. He never really got a shot to run. Golden Passage. I love that he's moving to the outside in here, and he should have... Glenn's Jumper, JR's Pacifico, and Two Dot, all flashing speed, probably even Peso in my pocket, and Clear Humor up front. I think Golden Passage can sit a nice trip towards the outside. 
Race number seven is a very, very difficult race to close out. Maiden special weight, seven and a half on the turf. I thought the four classy shipmen trying turf for the first time for a dam, um, for a runner whose dam was stakes placed on the turf. He's also a half to a horse named Classify, who was two for eight on the grass, was a stakes winner and stakes placed. He's come out of two races. The January race produced four next out winners, including Life is a Banquet, who won his next start by 23 lengths on May the uh, March, excuse me, February the 18th. Classy Shipman was behind a horse named Search Engine, who won that race and then came back to win his next start against first level allowance runners at Hawthorne. The two Midnight Oil had a fine start in the debut, was right behind the leader, traveling well, but had to tap on the brakes. Did come on again up close, just tired, expecting improvement there off of a a sneaky good effort where the fourth place finisher came back to win their next start. The seven, Alligator Crawl settled towards the rear, was about six or seven lengths off. Last time we saw him on the turf, he moved through some traffic nicely. It was a a pretty solid third. Now he's going to go as a first-time gelding and makes his second start on the turf. And the one eight nine are the top three betting choices in here. And I like others a bit more. Actually, I guess the two would be your third choice here. But Ogre's Lion King has some fine turf form. Now going to go second start off the long layoff. Gold Prize will try turf for the first time. Curl and Edge's only turf race came against much better. But I went four two seven, and then one nine eight if you wanted to go deeper or use some of them underneath in your exotics. The Monday races at Louisiana Downs are next. Let's turn the page to the 4th of July for some July 4th Monday Louisiana Downs racing. Monday, July the 4th, we're looking at race number one. We've got $5,000 claimers, non-winners of three. I like the five, Paint Your Wagon, who looks like the one to catch the big speed in here, coming off an eight-length romping win. Three-horse boating party drops back down to the $5,000 level. He ran into a horse named Mr. K last time out, and Mr. K has won three races in a row. He beat $25,000 non-winners of four next start, and then was second against first-level allowance runners. The four, autocratic, class relief. He was beating 15,000 non-winners of two at Sam Houston just a few starts back. Tried tougher since then, now dropping back down in class. We move to race number two. 12-5 12-5 non-winners of two claimers going a mile on the turf course here. I like the five. Stormy Sunrise. This was a horse who I had in my stable mail from last weekend. She's a five-year-old mare who had a good start, and she was making just her third start on the turf. She settled inside. She was fifth. She was in the two-path in between horses, about five lengths off in some traffic. She had to back out of a spot. She lost two lengths. She moved in between horses again into traffic. She had to wait again, lost ground, moved to the outside, then ducked back inside. Uh, She came on three times after some troubled bouts. Super unlucky. Expecting a better effort from Stormy Sunrise. The four, Madam Pie, had legit trouble in both turf starts. And she's been good on the dirt as of late. The one, Payo Princess, is your morning line favorite, getting some class relief. 5-4-1 in the second. We move along to race number three. The third kicks off the pick five. The number two, Robber, hopped at the start last time out. Was up close, but was in a tight spot. Had to take up. Had to check and lose all momentum. Lost a few lengths. 
got back up into contention, but had to go widest of all. It was a little bit flat late, but it was better than it looks on paper. Now he's going to put two together. He's going to drop and gets back to the dirt. If the five and the seven battle early, he will come closing. I'll use the two over the five, Speedy G, who's the one to catch, dropping, cutting back, and the seven, Orgeron. We love how you be talking like this when you talk about Orgeron. Obvious contender here. Eddie O, the seven, Orgeron. As we move to race number four, this one does kick off the pick four there. Louisiana bred fillies and mares, two-year-olds, four and a half furlongs, the distance. I like the four this Friday. The barn, a very good 23% with first-time starters, 14 winners in the last 60 starts, and a $3.24 ROI. This two-year-old filly hooked a very, very nice one named Lady Flurry in her debut. She has a race of experience under her belt. I'm going to give her a big shot. We'll also be using the other horse with experience, Broadway Pearl, who drew the rail, moves inside to outside. She got action in her debut. The five taking pictures. Her dam was a four-time winner, was multiple graded stakes placed, and this two-year-old filly is a half-sibling to three winners, including uh, a horse named Shang, who earned $386,000, was a seven-time winner, and a four-time Louisiana-bred stakes winner. Very capable barn, first time out. Four for 39 with first-time starters. Four, seven, five. I mean, the two Susie dolls ready. That damn was a three-time winner. Barn isn't the greatest first time out. Four for their last 71. The three, aspirational. That damn wicked draw was a winner. And she's produced two siblings to race. Both of them won. The six, our custom darling. That damn won twice. And the lone sibling is a two-time winner. Foster and Lozada team up. Four, seven, five. Then two, six, three. If you want to go a little deeper or uh, stack them. As we move to race number five, like the one Miss Billy Kay flashing some speed from the inside. Second start off the bench. Looks like the controlling speed in here. The six horse C Sassy run for trainer Greg Tracy. Had to go from the inside a bit and now drawn towards the outside. I think that will give her the opportunity to sit off the pace a little more and goes first start off the claim for Greg Tracy, who's been incredible all meet. Mila's gold. Off of back-to-back-to-back-in-the-money finishes. Fits very well in here. Half glamorous. I'll give a shot back. Uh, dropping in class after facing tougher last time out. A little bit of a class relief. One six three five in race number 5. As we move to the 6th race, it's a first-level allowance going a mile and 70 yards on the main track. I like the one Mr. Because who gets back to the dirt. If you key off his races going long on the dirt... He fits very well. Should save ground nicely from the inside. The number three is Vim and Vigor. He's not a win machine, but he fits very well in here. He comes off a third place finish most recently on June the 19th. He was sitting second behind Mo Vodka. He moved to the lead without really being asked. Mo Vodka's the two in here. I've got him as more of an under. The six-horse hardcore folklore... We'll try to loom up into contention as he did last time out. He made a big three-wide bid. He won the battle with Vim and Vigor for second. Big success would be another. I uh, don't mind including in exotics. One, three, six as the top tier. Five, two as the uh, the next tier. Seventh and final at Louisiana. 
12-5 non-winners of two, Louisiana bred Phillies and Mares, 7.5 on the turf course. I went to the five, My Avani, whose turf debut was very, very good. I think she has a shot to be right off the pace and to win right back here. We'll use the eight horse, Simply Sunday, who feels like the one to beat. That turf debut was also very good, similar to My Avani's turf debut. But Simple Sunday actually had to face winners in her start. So anything comparable to that last effort would make her very, very tough. If you look at her recent form, May the 8th, you can put a line right through that race. She had a legit excuse after a slow beginning. She came back and finished a good second. The 7, El Caliente Lady, is a half to a horse named Miss Billy Kay, who's a four-time winner on the turf. Miss Billy Kay is the uh, horse that we were talking about in race number one. So that's the... uh, the damn Gray Avalanche, who is the mother of both El Caliente Lady and Miss Billy Kay. 587 in the 7th on Monday. Happy 4th of July on Monday. Hope everyone has a nice rest of your holiday weekend. As uh, we transition on to other topics, we want to remind you about Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. She's a full-service realtor, and she can help you out in many different ways, like buying, like selling, like leasing, she can connect you to lenders if you need some help getting uh, pre-approved for a loan. She can put you in touch with vendors if you're looking for home improvement, maybe uh, trying to get in contact with the gardener, a landscaper, or a painter. She's going to make your life so much easier, anything you need in the world of real estate. Heck, she can just do a free market analysis of your home's value. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. That's the website. Check out all of her listings. You can find reviews of her on Yelp and Zillow. I've known Cindy now for over a decade. She is the kindest and most genuine person you will ever meet. CindyCarava.com. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Up next, it's time for the deep dive. We are more than halfway through Miss Marvel. And after a couple very good episodes, the fourth just took the the show in a different direction. Tim Kelly joins me for our deep dive, our scene-by-scene recap and review. Spoiler alert, we're going to get into everything that happened in Miss Marvel Episode 4, the positives, the negatives, why things changed a little bit, and some predictions about where we'll be headed moving forward. Tim Kelly joins for the deep dive. Dive into Episode 4 of Miss Marvel, and like... Many TV shows or movies do. We got to go back to the roots here. We head back to Pakistan. I guess for Kamala, it's really heading to Pakistan for the first time. Episode four is titled Seeing Red. We have to learn all about her family, her family's history, some of her powers. It's the origin story, TK. Uh, What did you think about Hmm. episode four of Miss Marvel? Well, I got to say, this was probably um, my least favorite episode so far. I, agree. Um, I'll, I, I feel like it, there was just something missing of, uh, that I felt about, you know, the magic of the show that was present in the first uh, few episodes. But this one felt a little bit like a, a reset. A lot of the elements and even specific characters that we've, you know, come to appreciate weren't present in this episode. At all. So that at meant all. That- at yeah, all. that meant those aspects of the story were kind of no like, Bruno, you know, no on Nakia, pause. no yeah. Yusuf, no like no, uh, that's um. So th- this is needed in the story. 
right? I completely mm. understand that you have mm-hmm. to go here to to get a lot of the exposition, right? It's right. neat. Even that's Kamala, the key word, though. Right. That was this. That was this episode. Was the exposition episode? Yeah. Like, to a degree that it wasn't so much fun and, for me. No, and and what's and I agree with you. It, I I think I enjoy it back. The second and mm-hmm. maybe even I think I watched it back three times now. So like the second and third mm-hmm. time I've enjoyed it back a little bit more because I wasn't mm-hmm. as it wasn't as jarring sort of like, right. no, kind of like knowing what we were going. It kind of reminded me of like um, this isn't like a spoiler or anything, but just sort of the way the show Book of Boba Fett was. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's like there's this Mandalorian episode that right. kind of came out yeah. of nowhere, you know, and it, and and that was a positive because a lot of people like yeah. that Mandalorian <laughs> episode, right? That was the difference. But it, it sort of took the show in a different way. This kind of felt mm-hmm. like I, I don't know who I I said this or maybe I think it was in the Ringerverse, but this sort of felt like a season two episode, you know? Right. Or or yeah, something like season two episode one, something like that. Yeah. yeah or, or some like this is like the sequel in a movie, you know? Mm-hmm. This is like the yeah. Karate Kid part. Two or was it part three when he goes to <laughs> right. like this is this is that kind of story. This feels like you know it's funny because it sort of feels like in some of the things I'm thinking Ninja Turtles part three when they go to right. visit Japan and then, or Back yeah. to the Future part three when they literally go back to the wild wild west. It kind of felt like right. one that was like just kind of a little off with the character and um, funny you funny you mentioned Back to the Future part three specifically because we have a, a train that goes uh, back in time and that yes and uh, right. we quite literally ended the episode with that yeah and so I don't I do I don't it's not as if I don't enjoy learning about Pakistan here and Karachi mm-hmm. I thought in very similar to in Moon Knight getting to see a side of this country yeah. and this part of the world that I don't really get to see often. I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. I enjoy a lot of that. I just wish there was a way to maybe not have this been an entire episode. You know, may- yeah. Could this have been a part of an episode? Could we at least have had her interacting with Bruno and Nakia a little bit back and forth mm-hmm. so we could kind of check in on maybe one or two things happening in New Jersey because it felt like it 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 was sort of weird that we built this entire world for three episodes and then we completely leave it. And yeah. and the only thing that makes me a little worried too moving forward is it's it's hard for us as viewers not to play like the math game in our head because we know how long mm-hmm. these series are, right? Like we know it's a sixth right. episode installment. So now all of a sudden we're after part four and we're going, okay. Well, she's now back in time or she's in she's mm-hmm. in she's kind of trapped in either, you know, the, the past or this memory. Mm-hmm. She's going to have to get out of that. And she's still in Pakistan before she even gets back to New Jersey. So I'm I'm a little like I liked everything about her being in New Jersey. This sort of like yeah. raised the stakes to a level that it's fine. But I was kind of having fun with Kamala being that like friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. That street level hero. That was yes. really uh, engaging and entertaining. And we were at a point in the story with those characters with Nakia and Bruno where it, they were kind of peaking those stories, mm-hmm. you know, like Nakia is upset. Uh, she just found out that she's, you know, this vigilante character and Bruno just kind of put things on the table that he's going to be leaving uh, for college. And there's that the it, the the tension between them, the, um, you know, 
the romantic tension yeah. uh, is kind of at a fever pitch right now. And we just left that all hanging. So all we the things that we're most invested in. Yeah. Know. Yeah. We're, we, we pulled away from those things we're invested in. And like you said, it raises the stakes, but I just didn't feel like it did so effectively. I felt this episode was kind of sloppy, the action in it. Uh, I was let down by it. I thought the editing was a little bit poor. There wasn't that like into the spider verse flair, you know, about there was a little bit here and there, but I just didn't see that that visual flair that I got so much of in the first few episodes. Uh, I felt like they pulled back a little bit from that, you know, due to budget, time constraints, whatever the reason. Uh, they had a lot of work to do in this episode in terms of like teaching it's, us about, you know, yeah. the realm and, and all this stuff. And it, it just was felt heavy. like a, an information dump. Yeah. yeah and, that, and that's there's another thing where I this just at least on my end this episode felt like the most work i was trying to do because i was really right. trying to like um i was really trying to define the realm versus universe and honestly what right. i did is the best thing i did was just jack it straight from what new rock stars said right. you know, like yeah. i literally just like wrote down and and i was like you know what i'm just going to give him credit for this and just talk about like his sort of his uh, interpretation of what's going on because now mm-hmm. in this in this phase four they've introduced us to just from from Loki now to Shang Chi then with what we've seen in Doctor Strange where we've got like terminology that we've we've got to be careful that we're not confusing you know there's yeah. realms and universes now and they mm-hmm. haven't really been too specific on. The fact that these are different things, are these the same sort of things that we're just loosely defining in a different way? But Eric mm-hmm. from New Rockstar seems to think that these are two different things. He's mentioned that a universe is defined as like a parallel reality within a multiverse. Each of right. each have like a doppelganger of our world with a variant of ourselves living in it, which we saw in Doctor mm-hmm. Strange, all of those different universes that him and america fall through we see the wanda in a different universe with her kids versus a realm which is Mm -hmm. kind of like the in between it's right like they're constant to all the different universes yep uh so there's that same realm is that same realm to whichever universe you're within some sort of a spiritual connotation to a lot of them too they're either accessed by death or by physical waypoints that are hidden in our reality so some of the realms that we have been introduced to in the mcu the nor dimension talo the dark dimension the quantum realm ancestral plane the duat underworld from moon knight uh, valhalla the gap junction from doctor strange the mirror dimension astral plane Mm. the shadow realm thanos's soul realm these are all things are all places accessed by death or a physical waypoint somewhere in our reality. So there's a lot of terminology here that I wanted to kind of really yeah. make sure that we're not getting confusing. Unfortunately, we're going to be getting confusing because it's confusing for all of us as we're watching it, especially while we're right yeah. in the middle middle of it, you know, and and trying to define it. That's what's fun about having these conversations while it's going on. We're talking about the surgery while it's happening. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all the body parts are out, and we're like, oh, okay, that goes here. (laughs) I think this goes here, right? Gallbladder over there, TK. (laughs) Yeah, and it could get messy. Like, like they say, if you walk in in the middle of a surgery, it might look like a murder. Uh, But you know, that's maybe why we're critiquing at this point. We're in the middle of it. Not to say that our critiques aren't fair, but you know, just to throw a little salt on that, like it's a, 
it's not the end of the world. This episode did have some interesting ideas that it presented. There were a few moments here and there, and it, it kept the general you know, feeling of the show. I just felt like it was a step down. All I, it all. wasn't like awful. It was just the, the level mm-hmm. of the first three were really good and really, mm-hmm. it, it, and it felt, and it was just very different. Like the vibe it, and the energy and the feeling yeah. of the show. And so that's where it was just, hmm, I'm, I'm confused about where we're going to go next mm-hmm. in, uh, in the next few. So we'll, Get into our deep dive in just a minute, like always, scene by scene. One thing that kind of bothered me about this, mm-hmm. and in in the first three episodes, we're talking all about how much we love all the characters, even like the smaller side characters felt very real and authentic. Mm-hmm. I just got to say, her cousins are some of the biggest assholes out <laughs> yeah. there, and and like it didn't yeah. really feel real to me. With no, with, I, I mean, I'm telling you, think about this. If you mm-hmm. are meeting up with your family and mm-hmm. you go out with one of your cousins, could you possibly right. imagine leaving them in right. a freaking foreign country that they've never been to when they're like 15 years old and they don't know where to go and how to get there? And you're just like, oh, hey, I'm out. Adios. What would your mom do to you in that situation or your dad right. or your family if they knew that you – you know, bailed on your cousins who came from across the world to meet you. This is one of those yeah. times where it's like these days that your cousins are in town, you're not doing anything with your other friends. You know, like you're with right. your family, you're not leaving them. I know it's a small thing, but that that just felt like a little disingenuous to me. Who the hell is going to leave their cousin like that in a different country in the middle of the streets? That's a That's a great point. And then just something in general about them is it felt a little bit like they, these were like upper class rich I know, uh, western snotty. version of, of the, yeah and it just didn't ring super true or relatable i guess those people uh do exist um i'm sure that they do in fact but it just yeah it didn't feel the most relatable it didn't feel like it was um what you would expect kind of her family to to be i don't know there was like a lack of uh yeah. just down to earthness to them uh yeah. that that i and and i think that led to them not feeling i don't know like credible or authentic in some sense we are uh, introduced to some new characters here in the red daggers now in the comics the red dagger was one character as we've seen the mcu do they'll in, mm-hmm. they'll kind of have their own interpretations and they'll use some of the things from some of the origin stories in comics, but they'll kind of tweak them so they can be, yeah. become their own. So instead of just one red dagger, we actually have the red daggers as sort of a group of heroes. Um, Same thing of, that they did with the Flag Smashers, right? Ex- you're right, exactly. I was thinking it was in the Falcon. I couldn't quite put put it all together, but well, that's yeah. why you're here, right? Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so th- so we, we see, uh, we get introduced to Kareem and then to Waleed and... Man, so four episodes in, Kamala's got like three love interests here. You know, yeah. <laughs> she yeah. she's getting her floored on a lot of these episodes. You know, yeah, yeah, she's got some options. Let's just say that yes. and, and, uh, it, she's doing well for herself. I love it, uh, and, and like she deserves the, it. 
in like the fifth mm-hmm. episode, she's just like, I'm in love with Nakia instead. I don't know, something, you know, just, <laughs> you know, just to really what throw us off. What if Nakia's in love with her? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, just to really throw us off course here, but we know now we've got like. She's got that Nor. <laughs> yeah, she's got, she's just a shining light everywhere she goes. And yeah. uh, poor Bruno, you know, our guy Bruno, because. I wonder where he stacks up on the uh, on the hierarchy. You know, if she's right if now. she's doing the rankings in her head because we've got fancy footwork, Kareem over here. And one of the things that I did actually really enjoy about this episode it was a small little thing. Mm-hmm. I loved the part where she got to just go hang out with Kareem and his friends sitting at the beach, yeah, eating and then but playing authentic music, just kind of feeling like. Cool. Like a hangout, yeah. like like it would mm-hmm. be for a group of sixteen year old kids in that area. What they would do, because that's something that looks like what you or I would have done with my friends, but just kind of slightly tilted based on where you are. Yeah, absolutely, it, it was it was authentic and relatable, like that cookout, like experience that dynamic, you know, around a campfire uh, with your you friends. You and I probably would have been smoking guitar. on a little something during that, as that was sure, going on. And then, uh, to, to that point, like they had that specificity of they're eating the biryani and they're eating it out of bags. Uh, and she's, uh, she's worried because of it, you know, the food she had earlier was like crazy spicy. So is this spicy too? Like it, she's a little gun shy. So th- there's all these little, little details that make it feel real and, and, uh, relatable but also like you're saying kind of like a new spin on things especially for people who aren't you know part of or brought up in that culture now uh we'll get into the uh positives and the negatives one of the things i I do like when they bring up stuff like this the Mm -hmm. abcd the term Mm -hmm. american born confused desi which was it's, (laughs) it's like a a negative connotation used to describe South Asian, South Asian Americans of Indian, Pakistani, or Bangladeshi uh, descent that are born or raised in the U.S. So it's sort of right. like a way that that people from from the from the or, or the country of origin kind of look down on some yeah. of the others who are more Americanized, and maybe they can make fun of them and um, talk about how they're not really as authentic. They they make fun of her tastes, you know, how Americans have kind of made everything bland and there's no flavor there. So these are sort of things that like you and I just don't think about. We don't really mm-hmm. see, you know, in in a lot of the sh- shows and movies that we've probably watched that are depicting American culture or things happening in the US, this isn't really something that we see a whole lot. This was a a thing brought up a, a little in Crazy Rich Asians. Um mm-hmm. but I I didn't I didn't like this episode a little less than some of the others because of of no. the the that kind of thing. These are actually the things that I enjoyed the most about the episode when they yeah. really went all in. It was more about how just we didn't visit any of the other people that we just got built. And it was like this whole new wave of characters that we have to meet, like five or six mm-hmm. more people. We spent a lot of time with her grandma, which I think is really cool. But I, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe there could have been a slightly better way of getting – of doing this than maybe an entire episode where we felt like we had to relearn a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah, it was just, it was a slog to be honest, like the way it all came together, uh, the, the, the parts that were meant to buoy the episode, you know, uh, with entertainment and that's what this is supposed to be, right. It's supposed to be entertaining uh, at its core, but like the comedy, the action, all that stuff fell flat in this episode for me. It yeah. was some, had some of the worst one-liners and like cheesy references I've I ever seen. I agree. The Red Dagger and even the action like the, sucked. The Terminator stuff. It just that I don't know. It was awful. 
come with yeah. me if you want to live that like i don't know it just felt i've always wanted to say that like that's yeah. a that's a cheap line we've heard before like that like that's a cliche at this point like for someone that to, one to made do me the quote cringe. and then say i've always wanted to say, it that was so cringeworthy it was yeah. it was like the the low point it was the nadir of the show so far yeah and i don't think this show needs to do that it was in it it was living in a really great space being this high school mm-hmm. show dealing with kamala and a lot of her problems and her issues with her family and again i this coming out of this episode you look back and you go okay we we needed to get a lot of this we needed mm-hmm. some things to happen we needed to meet the red daggers we needed to find out all of this information from walid who gives us a map who talks all about the realms who who sort of helps Kamala even harness some of her powers a little bit more. We can sense that she's mm-hmm. getting better with them. We needed Kamala to interact with her grandma. We needed Muniba to interact with her mother, right? All of these things mm-hmm. needed to happen along the way. So I completely understand that we had to get here, but I, yeah, there it was, there were just some of the most, the most critiques I have about any episode was in this one. And it was mm-hmm. because of, I think trying to, like having a weight of of needing to do a lot in an episode. We've given them lots of positives mm-hmm. for some of the ways they were able to to get these stories across in different ways. This one felt like the most sitting down in a classroom and just kind of being told, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Like, and so. Disney it was Disney Channel too. Like Yeah. It felt it reminded me actually more so it reminded me of like Power Rangers and like those Heim Saban shows. I did at, hear a few time, people, it, yeah, say say it felt say cheap on that, that level. Yeah, it it just the 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 and that's it. It reminds me a little bit of what happened in a couple of the episodes of Obi One. In just that, like mm-hmm. we do get set up at the beginning of a lot of these series with some really good episodes to start, and then they. And maybe it's because they're still figuring out the difference between a series and a movie, but there is these mm-hmm. kind of a lull a bit in the middle at some points. And yeah, then usually like the they like, like the fifth episode will be really good. And a lot yeah. of the sixth will be, but they kind of will some, some of them have closed excellent. And then others have had some right kind of wayward strings, but it is almost like a little bit of a roller coaster that you can kind of see. Um, but mm-hmm. it's again, it's so hard to gauge if we spend another entire episode like in the past i'm gonna get mm-hmm. i'm gonna feel frustrated because it's gonna it's yeah. gonna feel like there's a lot that like a lot of this episode or a lot of this series that you know we we've changed around our settings so much which is kind of hard mm-hmm. when you have all these new character like this is this would have been easier to do or you could do this if we knew these characters a little bit better like i said if this was a second movie oh, yeah. or a second season yeah. Or, but right off the bat, I feel like we could have had a nice season one story to tell and then go back here for season two or, you know, like a, a post credit scene after season one where the grandma says, Kamala, I see the train too. You need to come here. Okay. Right. Now yeah. they're going to Pakistan for season two, part two, whatever it's going to be. Let's get into episode four, our scene by scene deep dive of seeing red. As they head to Pakistan, we get the previously on, and we find out everything that went down in the last few episodes. We open up with the Marvel title screen, and then we have a foggy sky, and we see Kamala on a plane to Pakistan. She's 
sitting in with a passenger in between her and her mom. It's kind of funny. It's like a random dude mm-hmm. who's yeah. talking to her and they have to kind of like talk over this this random guy. And Kamala's sitting on the plane with her stuffed sloth who people continually joke with her about the uh, the stuffed animal and she calls it a napping pillow. So <laughs> she like anyone when you travel to a different country or to like a different place for the first time, she sticks out like a store a sore thumb everywhere she yeah. goes. You could tell she's either a tourist or someone who's there for the first time because she's got starry eyes. She's sort of looking all over at things. Yeah, fish out and of water. No, hundred <laughs> percent, no doubt about it. And she, she still hasn't completely resolved things with her mom and her family. In fact, we don't really know exactly how much time has passed between the wedding and right now. It, right, uh, could be a few days, maybe like a week. They had to get the plans to. You know, it's for their travel and and they're on a plane here. So you'd imagine it's at least a couple days to a week. But one thing we do know is that Nokia is not responding to Kamala's text. So our first scene is them on the plane heading to Pakistan. We have a little back and forth between Kamala and her mother, who she her mother sort of says, "Okay, look, you ruin your brother's wedding. You're going to be serving out your punishment for years. But (laughs) Nani is very old. She wanted us to come to Pakistan. Let's call a temporary truce, and maybe she can figure out whatever it is that you've been up to lately. So this is this some. I know a problem with it. This seems real. Like right, your your family same, same sort of thing. I can hear it right now. My mom going, you know, you're still in trouble, but we're gonna go to this yeah. party. We're all gonna act like we're fine, and then when you get right back in the car, that you're grounded <laughs> again. You know, this is sort of like what we're dealing with here. And uh, I, I like. I like the family. I like Muniba. I like Yusuf. Like I miss not getting a little funny, goofy stuff from Yusuf here. But Muniba, th- this felt like a pretty important episode for her. We found out mm-hmm. at least a few things about her. Even the m- one of the my favorite things to find out about her was I think was her aunt who had said, "Oh yeah, your mom named you Kamala. It wasn't a traditional Pakistani name. You know, she's she's always been such a rebel." Right. And K- Kamala was like, "What? Huh?" Like so, we see some of these similar traits and the characteristics that this family passes from generation to generation. Even though she feels mm-hmm. like a more traditional, Muniba was not thought of that way by the people around her. They thought she was like a rebel. Right, right. And then she had this weird dynamic with her mom too, where her, you know, she was thinking of her mom as kind of kooky. You mm-hmm. know that she had these, you know, crazy fanciful like theories. Uh, and you know, I think in her mind, Muniba's mind, she was probably thinking of herself as kind of more traditional in a way and like rebelling from her mom, who was kind of crazy. And so she went to, you know, uh, she is definitely like an individual, you know, above all Mm -hmm. else, like, like, but, uh, I think what we're seeing though, is that all these women have a lot more in common than they, uh, than they realize even. So we uh, we then see them flying into Karachi and then walking outside the airport and Kamala is amazed by the place. It's very fast moving, but it's really different than this was sort of like a a Dorothy. Like this isn't you know what? Mm -hmm. This is not Kansas anymore. Right. Like this is like there's there's definitely not what she's used to as uh, Kamala's family is there to pick them up. We meet her cousins, uh, Zainab and Oase. 
dicks. I just they're just right. such they're they just are. such snossages right off the bat. I mean, at, initially they joke Snoss. that seems kind of like it seems fine. It seems innocent enough, right? They, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, they reintroduced each uh, each other. They re- get reintroduced to each other as Kamala says, "Yeah, I remember Zainab and Oase. You're taller than I remember." And uh, Oase cracks right back. You're still really short. And, yeah. <laughs> um, then Sauna, like Big Brother in. ribbing, but it's yeah. just I don't know. It's, it, it, it was weird. Like weird. right, it and it's some. It's the way that you would treat a little brother or sister, but just someone that you're really, really comfortable with. Not right, someone right. That you barely like no. Like you're you're on a a little more formal, like respectful level with family yeah. like this, and so I didn't. These characters felt a little bit disingenuous to me, you know. Um, I just and I just played it simple. Don't like them. I'm like, what the hell? Like, why are you doing this to, to Kamala? Yeah. But Sana, I think is the very- writing the the writing was like trying to make it seem like they had this familial like, um, what's the word? Like familiarity, you know, literally yeah. like. But but that's not the reality of like no, kind of and we their know backstory that. that we understand it to be. So it just it didn't jibe, you know. It no, didn't, it didn't coalesce. But Sana, her grandma is very sweet, and as what I love is just like some little tidbits about their conversation right off the bat. So it's obviously very late in the night when they arrive, and Kamala says, "Like it's the middle of the night, you should be sleeping." And her her grandma says, "Come on, I'm just coming from a party." Like that's my grandma would have said that to me. Like that just is right. totally the exact same thing. And then when Kamala compliments her on her jewelry. She says, oh, these, they're very old, but you can have them. Like, that's just <laughs> such a grab. Oh, you like this? Go ahead, here. You can have it. It's like her that's old awesome. jewelry. She's just re- literally willing to offer it right off of her, like the clothes and jewelry off of her back. Here you go. Take them. Yeah. Like, just. That's realistic. Sweet. That is, you know, like that's, that feels authentic. Yeah, yeah. that does. Uh, so a couple things for all the, a lot of the critiques I have, there are some things that I thought. Were mm-hmm. like really sweet or beautiful or did feel very real little tidbits just like that. So we see uh, Muniba and Sana, mother and daughter, there embrace. And then another thing that felt per like spot on right off the mm-hmm. bat, Sana says, your skin is so dry. Are you on one of those strange diets again? And right. Muniba just kind of rolls her eyes a little bit, uh, you know, just. Mothers and mainly fathers, but this is like this is mainly this is a mother daughter thing, you know. Yeah, the dynamic is paralleled across the generations. Pounds on, or oh, you look a little different, or what is that? I don't really like that. That doesn't go with the way that your hair is, you know. It doesn't fit your quaff. Like it's too much or too little, like from the last episode. And the difference, it's not as if sauna was mean. Or anything, right? But but just seeing the difference between how she treats her granddaughter and her daughter, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah. hey, you're so sweet. Let me give you this jewelry, whatever you want. And then daughter right. comes up, she's like, oh, your skin, it's a little dry. You know, just like totally different way that you act with a a, a daughter or yeah. a son than you would with a granddaughter or a grandson. This is how my parents, they don't like me, they love Milo. You know, it's just <laughs> same thing. Right. And uh, so. We see them en route to Sauna's house. So we get a look at the, the city of Karachi, the city of lights, as mm-hmm. Kamala, Muniba, and Sauna head over to Sauna's. 
And we get to see the Marvel The Miss Marvel title screen I, I did like again some positives In the title screen The different mm-hmm. slides that we're getting For this episode a couple of them have yeah. Urdu writing and text mm-hmm. in there So it did feel off, Very authentic in that sense With and even in the um, The credits Instead of showing like clippings of stuff from New Jersey Where we would get New Jersey street signs Or buildings right. We're actually getting street signs and buildings And things from Karachi So yeah. little small detail But I like that Thought that was good And uh, we are into Sauna's home Big, nice place We get to meet Magnum, the pup Hey Magnum mm-hmm. And uh, once they get there It's a big place but it's it's not it hasn't been like touched up recently, but it's still very nice. Um, and Muniba makes a crack about the paint job and that they need to get it painted. But uh, Grandma says, "No, I'm gonna paint all over this charm." She's feisty. She's got a little stubborn spirit, mm-hmm. and she's she has a really good way of like I, I love her outlook on life though. Like a lot of the interactions she has with Kamala. She'll mm-hmm. tell Kamala about some of the problems that she has or some of her obstacles, and she just seems really like patient and understanding yeah. and like, I'll figure that out. I'm working on it. I'm not too worried. Right. I'm not gonna get too stressed. It's like she's been through a lot, so she doesn't really let the little things get her down. Yeah, like her resilience is mm-hmm. that's is a great word. Very that's apparent. exactly what it is. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. So she's just got that, you know, that joie de vivre and that, you know, resilience of uh, that she can get through things and she's just going to let things roll off her shoulders and, and uh, not not get caught up in things. And she seems also very like upfront and like to the point about things like she oh, yeah, she like, won't, she's not words. even scared she of just, hiding. Like that was yeah. sort of what I think that was kind of what Muniba had a problem with is that right. her mom doesn't Open even book. like she kind of <laughs> you could sense that she may have been someone like out at the, you know, at mosque or out at community gatherings like oh yeah i experienced this or i had this vision or mm-hmm. i saw this thing and like people are looking at her like she's crazy and muniba's like uh, that was my mom you, you said she doesn't seem shame isn't the right word but she doesn't no filter seem, no filter no filter exactly yeah. completely unfiltered yeah. and not not really bothered by what other people would think of her she's very mm-hmm. she's very comfortable in her own shoes you know yeah um and so Kamala is inspecting the house. She's looking all around and she finds a room that has drawings all over. Lots of clippings about Pakistani history. And in fact, these are all drawings that her grandmother Sana has done through the years. One of them has like a purplish background with these sort of hooded figures. It kind of looks like that realm that Kamala gets sort of transported through. Anytime something happens with the bangle, when the when we kind of sense that power right. and there's like the purple around and she sees the train, it it, it almost looks looks sort of like that. And the, the pictures, it's funny because Stranger Things just I haven't watched where you and I are recording early, early morning on Saturday, and the Stranger Things new episodes have just come out. I haven't I haven't watched mm-hmm. them yet. Um, but it, it does sort of remind me these pictures kind of like of Will drawing some of the things from his memory, you know, that he right. could see. Which and then try to put him. they're them trying yeah. to put it all together with Bob, you know, as they're putting the the pieces together. Um, I uh, yeah, so this is another that that's unfortunately what was hard about this episode. Like this scene 
or these mm-hmm. types of settings where it's like Kamala with her grandma learning a little bit about their history. I'm I'm okay with, I'm fine with, but we end up have mm-hmm. to have we end up having to have like this scene, then we have two more <laughs> with Waleed where he sets up yeah. a bunch of stuff. We have another one yeah. with Kareem where he's setting up some stuff. Then we have another one with like Muniba and Kamala where they're kind of setting like so it's just yeah. if there was one or two scenes like this with the grandma, I thought these mm-hmm. were kind of these were nice. It's just that there's so many of them that I didn't yeah. this one didn't feel maybe as much as it should have. Um but I like I like the stuff with with Kamala and her grandma. I actually like Sana a bit. She comes off as like a really sweet grandma and like I feel like I said I feel like we kind of know her. Right, she seems yeah. to have distinct characteristics that make her like a unique person, not just part of exposition to get like plot across. I agree. Yeah, I, I think the actors do a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, yeah. in the in their performances here, yeah. I just think the writing is is really strained. Um, yeah, I think they're the conflict. It's honestly, it's kind of lazy. But yeah. It's it a is. lot of scenes like like you kind of mentioned here is that of them people like two characters just sitting in a room and exchanging information you know about something that happened in the past or like like the the scene that happens a little later um, with Kamala's mom and, and, and grandmother like the for me the conflict between them felt manufactured it just felt like they're just like arguing about something just for the sake of, of arguing because a writer wrote it that yeah. way. Not be, not because it, it, it felt super warranted or like motivated uh, by what the, you know, by what had happened in, in the story or, or their backstory. It just felt, it felt lazy. Yeah. For lack of a better word. And, and it was boring. I was bored in a lot of these scenes. Yeah. Um, and they, they, it, it starts off a little too soon. Like we're already in one of these scenes. And then yep. we've, like you said, we have like four or five more. <laughs> so, Sana tells us a little bit about, you know, her life. We lost so much during the partition. I thought the Mm -hmm. only way I could hold on to what we had lost was to create it myself. So she draws some of the memories. And she actually has drawn a picture of Aisha, which was her grandma uh, and Kamala's great-grandma. So it's it's a picture that's been drawn by memory, whatever that Sana could remember. And Kamala asks her. Um, why did you send me the bangle? She shows her the bangle and she gets it out. And Kamala's like about to ask her grandma a little bit about their you know, their past, and she's like tiptoeing, she's scared. She said, Grandma, am I a jinn? Of course. At least that's what huh. my father told me. Like th- you know, for Kamala, a lot of this stuff is new. These topics are new. For someone <laughs> like Sana, it's like she's been living with like this stuff for years. This isn't new to her. Yeah. She's had these conversations forever. So I don't see what the whole fuss is about. It's just genetics. You're focusing on the wrong thing. It's not about how I see the vision or if you are a jinn. The important thing is that the bangle, when the bangle was used the last time, it saved my life. It was the middle of partition. It was a hot summer night. I got separated from my father until a trail of stars appears and took me right back into his arms on the train. It was the last train that night. And Kamala mentions with her, it's the same train that they're seeing in the visions. So Sana tells Kamala, it's the bangle. It's trying to tell you something. I don't know what, but I know that you needed to be here with me to figure it out. So Kamala, not exactly sure what to do. She said, I'm trying to, 
know, piece together a hundred things and I feel like I'm breaking more than I can fix. Now I like this line from from Sonnet, and I liked when she gave her little tidbits of advice like this. Again, this was something that felt like my grandma would say to me, you know, when she finishes the line. So I like it. It just I didn't have as much a problem with this particular interaction as I did with just the whole overall. She says to her, if you have lived like I have lost what I have, you learn to find beauty in the pieces. I like that. But yeah, it's a nice sentiment. You know, we, we got a little bit of information here, but what we did find out is that, you know, on the on the plane right away, we saw. Kamala reading through some of her texts from Nakia Nakia has not responded to her Since they were at the wedding Nakia is mad that Kamala didn't tell her About her powers Kamala wasn't honest with her They were best friends, they've shared everything And they did not share this And you notice that when Kamala Sort of was reading through her text There was no fun silly animations Right, it was just Straight text that she was reading through And she's kind of being haunted by a lot of what's been going on recently And I actually mm-hmm. This next scene I thought was kind of uh, I, I could understand because You got a 16 year old girl here And I'm trying to think mm-hmm. about this logically Who just found out she has powers She's Got all these different Things going on with these different boys She's got mm-hmm. stuff going on with her best friend She doesn't really know what's happening with her family Here and there She's got these clandestine people that are trying to kill her She was just chased by Police and drones and she's Learning all these powers and then She had to travel across the world And she's probably physically jet Lagged and just tired as hell So as she kind of lays down And she's going to sleep She's having these like nightmares Kind of visions of Some of the stuff that's just recently happened to her So I could I could understand that And she she like doesn't want to get out of bed She's like nah I'm, I'm good Let me just sit here you guys go eat You guys go do your thing um, yeah. So th- this is how I feel when I travel somewhere for the first day. I'm like, now nah, I'm good for a little bit. Let me get used to this. Uh, let me get used to this place. Yeah. Um, Sometimes when things stack up like that, and there's just so much, it just y- you're you can have a tendency. At least I can, like, uh, uh, to just I just check out almost. <laughs> if, it, if it gets to be too much, sometimes I just want to like pull pull back for a second. I need to I need to lay down. I I there's I can't deal with all of this at at. Uh, at once and the right thing to do is to just You know just one by one go, go through them but sometimes you just gotta Go F it I'm just gonna lay down for a little Bit and like yeah. let my subconscious do some Of this work for me so her cousins Come in to wake her up um, And again always Says oh I'm sorry I didn't realize you were in here With someone as she's sleeping with the sloth The uh, <laughs> the the napping Pillow and Zainab who just She just sounds like like a mean Girl you know, like one of those just sort of mm-hmm. like insta girls who's like so concerned with appearance and everything. We have the whole afternoon planned. Lunch at the boat club is is in an hour. Let's go. Kamala doesn't even know if she can eat. She's just not really feeling great. But of course, like always, mom is gonna remind her, hey, don't be weird. We're here to visit. The point is to visit. Come on, let's go. Always lets her know that she can bring the flying teddy bear. So they head to the boat club But Kamala is underdressed And her cousins are not pleased Um, (laughs) As uh, we see them on the outside They have to order off the patio menu Because she's wearing jeans They have to miss the buffet And the air conditioner As 
Kamala, you know, mentions that her outfit plays a little better in Jersey, but Zainab <laughs> tells them that they can swing by the mall, they'll find her something less controversial. And mom tells her to stay with their cousins. We don't want her getting into any trouble. We're then introduced to Auntie Roxana, and she mentions that Kamala is not a typical Pakistani name, which. Uh, and she said that Muniba, her mother, Kamala's mother, was always a bit of a rebel, which made Kamala kind of smirk, mm. like, huh? What? Mom was a rebel? Right. So, and and this was one of the first times where they start to make fun of her for uh, not being able to handle the spice of their authentic cuisine. She's she's used yeah. to everything so Americanized and not nearly as spicy as I'm sure the food is made here in uh, in Pakistan. Yeah, that's the thing you always hear, like from from different cultures, you know, that, you know, when they're dealing with their American relatives and counterparts mm-hmm. is that, you know, that they, they have to do like American hot as, as opposed to, you know, no whatever flavor. Yeah. yeah. Whenever I eat Thai food, uh, I, I always ask for not Thai hot, like because I can't <laughs> I can't do Thai hot. Um, I feel like I can do spicy, but Thai hot, it's a different level. And I, I think it's sort of the same thing. Southeast Asia and yeah, yeah, they get they get pretty spicy over there. So we we then have the youngins, the kids go on, uh, go off on their own. So it's Kamala, Oase and Zainab. And the, the two take Kamala on a little bit of a tour. So they're showing her through some of the uh, the city and, and through, through some of the streets. Colonial era structure built by the British Raj in 1891 And they show her old town Where some of Karachi's oldest residents live But like anytime she tries to be sort of fun And make a joke with them They like look down on her Like yeah. she she makes it just a little joke about Florida And Oasis yeah. like looks, looks No, this is old town Where many of the refugees first settled When they came from India And she's like, oh, okay And they're walking through the streets, the marketplaces, taking pictures, and Oase calls her an ABCD, an American-born confused Desi. And this is a real term. This and this is something that is like a very negative connotation. Like I said, you know, when we talked about it in the beginning, that people would throw at someone who maybe is there, you know, for someone who is. Mm-hmm. Part of their culture who shares some of the same history or ancestry but isn't from there It has left the homeland and it's kind of a way to sort of talk down to them Yeah, yeah Hey, they can't handle the spicy food anymore Yeah It's a, it's, it's, it's almost like a sellout It's kind of the it, same like right. way like if, if you're a punk band Absolutely And then you, you went know, mainstream <laughs> You went mainstream The rest of the punk bands like look at you like like you're an ABCD. Well, you know, you're right. It's, you know, you think <laughs> you know. about like if you, example, like if you're a pizza snob, you know, if you're mm-hmm. someone who who loves pizza, you're gonna be going to hole in the wall pizza places, right? You're gonna be, mm-hmm. you're gonna have found the best pizza places around. You're gonna look down on someone who's talking about the chain pizza that they went to, right? The real like right. Americanized pop, you know, whatever it was. I don't want to blast any pizza places, but you know, right. so I. I absolutely you can see it here, but um, yeah, Oasis and, and Zainab quickly they're like, okay, hey, history lesson's over. We should get going. We've got friends waiting for coffee, and all Kamala asks is if they could go check out the train station. She says it's historic. You know, it's the first ever gateway where Nani entered the country, mm-hmm. and Zainab just says, "Well, we're going. Meet us after. Stay safe, I guess." 
what the fuck? WTF? Yeah. Like, seriously, what the hell? That, that quick? Yeah. It wasn't even like they had a fight or anything. Kamala didn't say anything <laughs> disrespectful or offensive. She just asked, hey, could we go to the train station? No, nope, right. we've got plans for coffee with some of our friends. You don't want to go? See ya. Don't don't get yourself in trouble. What? Yeah, it did seem a little. I don't know. It, yeah, I mean, their family. You're supposed to you're supposed to take care of family, but also like when you have a little bit of just curiosity about you know your your American friend who's there. Uh, that you know, just to spend time that what limited time you have. You know, your your friends who you can get coffee with them every day, but your your family's there for a limited amount of time, presumably. So it. It just seemed I guess that's a teenage thing, too, and a spoiled teenager thing, too. I guess that's what these characters are. I do get the sense yeah. that they're more upper class. Uh, they're kind of a, a, a rich uh, family uh, out there. That, that's the sense I get from, you know, how they live and you know how they talk and all that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just seemed a little bit disconnected, a little bit mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't know, just a, maybe unrealistic. Um, but also, I guess you could flip it, too, and go like um wouldn't wouldn't she stick with her family too I yeah guess she's there for a reason she's got a mission that's really important too so yeah. it might have just from from their perspective been like why she want to like so yeah, hell-bent like, on this train station they isn't she just gonna why go don't you want to come to coffee yeah. with us she, yeah <laughs> you're right that's it and it's not as if she's come i mean she's been fine she hasn't been mean but she hasn't come mm-hmm. in and been like she they had to wake her up to come right mm-hmm. it was kind of right. like pulling teeth to get her to go and then she's wearing jeans and she's kind of throwing a little rain on their parade and then when they've got plans to go hang out with her friends she's talking about wanting to go to the train station so it's not as if she's been like the most perfect passenger well, along for the ride the whole time yeah they, they don't know the context either too of like no. why she wants to go to the train station and why it's important if That's she was up front and shared that with them they might be more supportive so People all over are trying to cut, are trying to rip her off because she's obviously not from around here. You know, they're selling her things and they're they're charging her more. They're trying to they're taking pictures and asking her for money for it. And when they the directions to the train station, when she asks someone, the guy goes, "Okay, uh, you go left, and then you go this way, yeah. and then left, and then left again, one more left, yeah. and then right, a little bit right, okay, and then uh, yeah. and then at the donkey cart, you go around the donkey cart. You getting me? Yeah, left." Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah. uh, uh, but and that was the funniest joke of the episode, probably. And not in a, I mean, we've seen that before. That's, that's yeah. a dynamic and a joke that's played out before, too. So, again, yeah. it's like, even when they're doing okay, it, it wasn't really original or anything new this episode. Uh, no, just another example of why I was kind of let down. So, Kamala does find her way to the train station and she looks around searching for anything that. Going to triggers her memory Something that will lead her to find More information about the train About Karachi about the visions She's having and She sees a big Mural at this train Station and it's of Ant-Man Which is kind of cool and, and yeah. It says you can start small And you can still be larger than Life I did enjoy a couple Of the, the quotes in this episode Which mm-hmm. in I will say there were there were some quotes in here and some quotes recently in Obi One that I loved, just some sayings yeah. and some phrasings and 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 there were a few of them. Um, this one and then even what's on the bangle that we're going to talk about in a little bit. What you seek is seeking mm-hmm. you. I kind of like yeah. sort of like like the those sayings and what they mean to the series. 
And mm-hmm. we've got an, a, a few little Ant-Man tidbits because Scott Lang is a, a podcaster in this world. He's someone who tells yeah. a lot of the stories. So people who know things about the Avengers in in this world probably know a lot of that stuff from Scott Lang and maybe listening to his podcast or his descriptions of uh, of things that have happened. And, yeah. and as she looks at the mural, this knife comes flying right by her face. And she looks around and she sees a masked vigilante. This is the Red Dagger, one of the Red Daggers. This is Kareem, and he's got very good fighting skills. He's well-trained, and he has some weapons that seem to have some additional powers to them because his knives can cut through her hard light that she creates. Some of the uh, the hard lighting, they can actually like, mm-hmm. stab into it. So we get a, a back-and-forth little fight between the two of them that, you know— they even joke about not Ninja Turtles and Donkey Kong. They battle using yeah. the hard light. But um, she, the, the, I thought the best part of this was when he throws his dagger, you know, and he's very skilled with the knives. And he he throws one, and it kind of stops right before Kamala into the, mm-hmm. the like the platform she's created. And she pulls mm-hmm. out the knife to throw it back at him. And she yeah. just – it's awful. No form. You know, <laughs> yeah. just, it, which – it's true, right? Kamala isn't athletic. She has powers, right. but it's not going to make her all all of a sudden incredibly skilled at, at, in all these different senses. She can manifest yeah. things with her mind, but but she's not all of a sudden strong, powerful, and her hand-eye coordination isn't fantastic. So at least like that felt kind of real. And they have a really funny yeah. line here where Kareem asks her, "Do all masked Americans have superpowers?" And she says, how do you know I'm not Canadian? And yeah. uh, shout out because Iman Vellani, the actress who plays her, is actually Canadian. And yeah. uh, shout out to uh, Canada. Uh, July 1st was Canada Day. We're recording the day after them. That's their uh, sort of 4th of July. So shout out there. As uh, I got to say, I didn't like that line either, to be honest. That the was Canadian one? Well, you, you, yeah, that yeah. was a shitty joke to me. Well, and that's <laughs> definitely know. put in there because of her. Like, right, that, right. That wouldn't have Which, been. I guess it works on that. It works on that yeah. level, I guess. But it just but, but like it, know, it doesn't work as a double, like no, on time. It's yeah, not, it's, it's not. Yeah. It's not like um. It's not the type of joke I like as much in the MCU because it doesn't mm-hmm. like play into something in the MCU. You got to kind of know that she's Canadian for that to hit a little bit. Yeah, and if you don't know weird that reference joke. Yeah. yeah. It, it, Same thing it, with the Terminator joke that happens there too. Yeah. The, the good moment of that the, was the moment that you said though, like, the, like the when she goes to throw it. It was that was rooted in her character. It was an interesting wrinkle to you know her powers and her, her dynamic that you don't see all that often. And that was it was a genuinely funny, entertaining moment. It just happened to be in a sequence that was just nonstop shitty. <laughs> like beyond yeah. that, the CG was really bad. I thought the editing was janky. And then those one-liners were it was just were one, good. one terrible one after another. Uh, and then uh, like t- the, the fact that they were like references too, made it fall even more flat to me because it was like it wasn't just a a bad one-liner. It was just it was a nothing reference. Just like hey, like I'm just gonna point to something that you'll recognize and hope that you know you you chuckle. Like it it, it was to me the, ch- the 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 cheapest type of writing and. Uh, this is where it really fell apart for me. 
So Kareem does let her know that he sensed the Noor. So that's something that mm-hmm. Kamala is kind of setting off a signal to some people that can that can tell with her Noor with some of the powers. And yeah, she they battle here. They're both kind of confused because Kareem's a little bit confused by her powers. And then he asks mm-hmm. her about being a clandestine. Now she's kind of confused about who he is and what he knows because he knows about the Bengal. He knows about mm-hmm. Aisha. She's starting to ask questions, and uh, some of the off- some officers see them and that they're laying on the floor. They've just been like fighting. So they end up, it's funny because like quickly they end up, okay, we got to go. Come with me if you want to live. So they just go from fighting. Yeah. All of a sudden, now Kareem tells her to come with him. So, so she, stupid. It, it just, <laughs> like, let's just that right? turn was really dumb to me. Too. Like, why were like, they? Like, he threw a knife at her like like a two, minute ago, and then all of a sudden ago. they're hanging out. Yeah, there needed it to made, be a little bit more. Like, there needed to be something in the middle. Yeah, someone comes and then he saves her from him, right? And then mm-hmm. there's at least this little bit of like, oh, okay. The Maybe dynamic is shifting. Yes, yeah, like, right. Like there, there was something missing, and I think right, Eric, uh, someone on on one of the recaps, it might have been on New Rockstars. It felt almost like in parts of this episode, like there were maybe some key things that had been edited out, almost. Like I don't doubt it. You know, because yeah. it's like this, and even the fighting with the clandestines when they come in, it seemed like and, there were maybe even yeah. characters like that kind of got taken out of places or. Mm-hmm. It, it did. It just felt a lot less clean this episode than some of those other threes. Uh, the the first three, <laughs> as uh, they quickly leave the train station, and Kamala and Kareem walk into a restaurant through the kitchen. She doesn't know where they're going. She asks if he's going to murder her. I don't want to be the subject of a true crime doc right now. He tells her to relax, and he opens a hidden door to the Red Daggers hideout and. She asks him, uh, what are you in a Pakistani boy band, Red Daggers, as it's this impressive looking place, it's sort of like a museum kind of library, almost like yeah. hall that they're in. She's impressed by their very strong hideout game. Yeah, very strong. <laughs> it, it re- yeah, l- legit here. And at, uh, while- at first I thought we were going to get like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I said this before on the on the podcast. But I, my mind immediately went to Ninja Turtles again and, like, yes. the Foot Clan in the first yes. movie where they go into that that hideout. I feel Actually, like we've talked about this. I'm getting yes. I'm getting deja vu. But uh, that was that was the initial vibe I got. And then it ended up being much more of, like, a, a temple type of environment. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. that was where You're my right. mind immediately raced to. I did, too. It got, you got, it's funny that you bring that up now. That's a good, that's a good, uh, a good point. Um, Waleed walks in mm. and... Now, he gives us a lot of text, a lot of exposition, and this is like really heavy stuff, and it's kind of confusing. So I'm going to do my best to try to explain it the way that I am interpreting it. They uh, they sit down to eat, and Kareem makes a crack about Americans finding a way to whitewash the Chinese food that they're eating too. Uh, yeah. Kamala chirps back at him. So they're kind of like play flirting a little bit, but even – I don't know. Like it didn't – I don't. It, it didn't hit quite as much for me, like th- with these two, as maybe Kamala mm-hmm. and Bruno, or maybe Kamala and Cameron. I don't, maybe it's because it's been the fourth, the third guy in four episodes right. where it feels a little forced. Like the other two That's maybe felt 
yeah. more like genuine the way they came about. All of a sudden, she has to go to a different country and meets this guy, and they're going in secret hideouts. Like the other two guys she meets at school. Like that's just right, normal. Right. Like that's that's how it happens. Um, it's zero to sixty with with, with yeah. this guy. It feels like they're all of a sudden like in this very um, like they're treating each other very familiar. Yeah. Uh, when she she immediately like lets her guard down in this completely foreign, it just Country. doesn't feel realistic uh, I, it, that she would do that. She would she, be more and concerned for her own safety. I know it's not. It's just not smart. Like it's not yeah. smart at all. And it just didn't ring true in a lot of no. ways. And 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 also, what, I, I you mentioned that like that we had just seen it too. I think that plays a role too. Like. I, I, there was an element of like, didn't we just do this? Like, yeah. now we're doing this again, like with, with another a different dude? guy. Like, like, we've done this twice, really. Like, yeah, we've seen yeah. her and Bruno start to have these moments, and then her and Cameron right. start to have these moments, and now it's same thing with Kareem. And and now, at that same time, we're being introduced to a new love interest. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. we go from Kamala like learning her powers in New Jersey, and honestly. Not even having anything to do as a superhero other than, like, save some local people, right? It's not – she didn't have, a like, save the world mission or anything at all to do. Yeah. And now we're finding out that oh my, this entire realm could be unlocked and the world could end. It just right. felt like we went from – like you said, zero to 60. We went from cool, local, like – High school mm-hmm. stuff on a street level to now the world's going to end instantly. I know we and, have to get there, mm-hmm. right? I yeah. know that it's the MCU. We're going to get there. Things are going to have to the, – the stakes are going to be raised at some point. Yeah. But gosh, that seemed like it It happened. I, and, like, I want – I wanted to like this scene more. Like, the mm-hmm. visuals and stuff are kind of cool when he pulls the map out. Right. And you see the realm, and like I like the the ideas of this, and I actually enjoyed kind of looking this stuff up and trying mm-hmm. to play it out in my head, like realm versus universe and what these things are. Yeah, but the lore of it all. Yeah, yeah, like I, I like that, but it just felt again like this didn't feel like the show that we got introduced to in the first three episodes. Yeah, and it was a retread of what we've seen in like a lot of recently. I mean. We've kind of gone over these beats and, uh, you know, Doctor Strange and and we just saw this with, you know, the, the way they explained Talo and uh, Shang-Chi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I appreciate that this is another angle on kind of the same thing and that they're fleshing out this idea of these realms and tying together, you know, those other examples. But on a narrative level as uh, a, a viewer, I also feel like I've been here before. I've done this recently None, none of this feels new or fresh or all that, um, uh, all that, you know, revelatory. Uh, it feels like they're kind of rehashing and putting a new skin on something that they've already done and already explored. Yeah. And uh, to your point, they're pulling us out of this kind of fresher storyline that's a little bit more grounded and human. And yes, we've seen high school stuff before. Yes, we've seen, you know, interpersonal dynamics. That stuff never gets old, though. Uh, no. If it's real and if it's authentic, relationships are always interesting. Because um, we've all and, been there. That's why. That's an experience right. that everybody has. Everybody's been 15, 16 in high school. Doesn't matter where you are now, how rich or poor you are, or what, what like level of, of society you're in. We've all yeah. been that place. We can all remember it. 
you know? And does this want to be a movie or like a TV show? Because I sometimes I feel like the six episode around that number is kind of perfect. Like the, the CW model is is bloated, right? They they yeah. do twenty two episodes. They're forty two minutes long. Everyone. They, they pad out the, with soap opera bullshit, and it's not good. No. You get better when you pare things down a little bit. But also, I, I just don't know that if maybe we've, we've taken it too far with that. If, if this story is perhaps better served with a little bit of a longer run, a 13-episode run. You know, You're right. Really get into the minutia of the different characters and their you know, interpersonal dynamics and the school and, and, and really dive into that street-level – uh, the little things, you know, and, and play those things out for maximum effect without padding, without, you know, stretching the storyline, uh, but just get what you need out of it. Um, whereas this, I feel like we're being rushed into all these major things that just make it feel a little bit overwhelming and, and uh, incredible and, and not in a good way, incredible, like but like lack of credibility, you know, like it just mm-hmm. doesn't feel it doesn't ring true and, and I'm not super invested in any of it because it just feels like I'm watching a story that somebody wrote. You know, I'm not, I'm not, there's, it's not giving me that, that, you know, that real life, uh, something, that magic, that spark uh, that's going to connect me to these characters in this world and, and allow me to suspend my disbelief. It's just, it feels very manufactured. So here's a lot of, uh, of what we learn from Walid. Hundreds of years, the scarf has protected the identity of warriors willing to take on the mantle of the Red Dagger. Their function is simple, to protect people from the threats of the unseen. Uh, Clandestines are not like the jinn you've heard about in stories or religious text. If Thor landed in the Himalayan mountains, he too would have been called a jinn. The Clandestines and Aisha are from another realm. This is where he shows Kamala a map of the realms. And I thought it was very cool. It's like multi-layered, like a visual hologram. Mm-hmm. He yeah. twists a knob so you can you can maybe even get the, the, the sense that there are other realms that he's not right. like, opening up Beyond. or twi- yeah. you know, showing. And she's really impressed looking at all of this. Waleed lets her know, this is Aisha's home. It's connected to our world, but it's hidden behind the veil of Nor that separates our world from theirs. Kareem tells her that Noor is the energy source of that realm, that the veil, the clandestines, and her powers are all made of it. If the clandestines use the bangle to tear down the veil, they will unleash their world onto ours until there's nothing left of it. That's why it's important to keep the bangle safe. It's a very uh, Mortal Kombat uh, right. way, yeah. right? Like uh, outer, outer world. Yeah, yeah it, it reminded me a lot of it. I kept when I kept thinking about the realm and how you know Shang Tsung. If they win this, they're going to unleash the realm and it's going to really take over the world. That the verbiage yeah. reminded me a lot of it, but it's also so true. Um, a lot uh, very similar to what we were hearing about from Reed Richards with incursions. incursions. What he was talking about yeah. to Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So this is where it gets tricky. Is it? The same exact type of thing incursion Is it a little bit different Is it you know when we're on the timeline Are we thinking does everything This is kind of what Bruno said right You help them go home things go boom (laughs) (laughs) Like He kind of said that in a very uh, Simple sense A couple episodes back Now this part was also interesting Waleed said that in all The years and everything he's heard about the Bangle there was no mention of an Inscription but he sees right. the writing on the bangle. 
Kamala asks him what it says He reads it What you seek is seeking you She asks is that an important message (laughs) This is one part that actually Kind of made me chuckle a little bit Where he goes I don't know It must have been important to someone I just kind of laughed a little because it was like, yeah, no shit, you know, like, of course, but they engraved it. (laughs) uh, So do you think this was something that Aisha added? That was what I had kind of heard or read. Is this something that she maybe added on the bangle or or the prior owner of the bangle inscribed on this to tell maybe the next person or maybe to give a message to Kamala or whoever was going to get it? Because it does seem interesting that he said. You know, it. He's heard a lot about it, and it hasn't been on on there. So I, I don't think they would have said some a line like that if if mm-hmm. we're not going to find out more about it. It seemed like something that would have been weird to bring up if there wasn't more to it. Yeah, uh, I don't know who. I don't really have any theories about who wrote it. I do think it stands to reason that the previous owner probably left that as a message, mm-hmm. possibly to her. Uh, um, there's perhaps some time travel at play right now uh, with yeah. what we saw at the end of the episode. So perhaps we're dealing with like a, I saw somebody uh, propose that we could be dealing with like a closed loops scenario where maybe Kamala is interacting with herself across, you know, different points in a yep. timeline. Uh, but the thing that stood out to me about this line was it really reminded me of that famous Nietzsche quote, uh, battle not with monsters, lest you become a monster. And if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. So I oh. thought that perhaps this could be a warning uh, of sorts or, or um, just a, a philosophical uh, sort of statement there about, um, you know, her journey or whoever owns that that bangle and how that how they'll wield it and, you know, what they'll use it for. And that, you know, what they seek is perhaps what they will become, not just what they'll find, but what they'll become. So we then head to the DODC, the Department of Damage Control. It's a super max prison where the clandestines are being held. Now, this might be what's referenced in the comics as the cube. It is <laughs> one that we also see in the She-Hulk trailer. But I got to say, for a, a super max, I'm not really impressed here, TK. I mean, these clandestines yeah. get out pretty, pretty easily. And I'm yeah. I'm not really sure... I don't think they've done a fantastic job with with this group either in sort of telling us a little more about them. We know a little about their history, but we don't really mm-hmm. know what they can do. Like, do they themselves have powers? Their weapons seem to right. to be capable of doing yeah. doing supernatural things. One of their daggers actually melts a hole right through a lock, and they're able to escape. Mm-hmm. But they. And they can sense Kamala's nor like they can they continue to find Kamala wherever she is yeah. because they can they can sense her nor they say that a few times but we don't really get a sense of like any powers that they have because whenever they do battle with Kamala she seems to get the upper hand on them most of the time yeah and she even gets in away yeah even in the, every time. the street battles like spoiler alert we're gonna mention it in a in a minute or two a couple yeah. of them die. Yeah, at the hands of it looks like they die at the hands of Kareem. They get arrested by regular, well, not regular cops, but you know, damage control cops. At one point, like there, there's something about them. Like there's still an air of mystery, uh, just because they haven't really explained much about them. Which perhaps that's a good thing, seeing as how much explaining they did in this episode. Yeah. Uh, But I also feel like 
there's just not enough to to really uh, make them feel like a credible threat. There's they anytime they show up, I, I don't get the sense like, oh, Kamala's done for now, or you know, it, it, it no. just feels like goons. It feels like You're expendable right. goons are showing. Yes, up. and and this. This feels like street level goons in all right. of a sudden a show that's gotten enhanced to like saving the world stuff. Yeah. You know, um, it's the flag smashers all over again, too, because that, that's the same dynamic. Like, you just kind of don't care. I know. It, exactly. It, there's, this, there was sort of like a feeling like this with the, in Obi Wan with some of the Inquisitors and kind of the way that they were portrayed, too, and just sort of like a overall not, not, um, not the scariest. And, mm-hmm. We'll keep asking this question, you know, what powers did they have? They can sense Noor. They are from another realm. If they use the bangle to open the veil, they will unleash their realm. And it's it's the Noor is the source of energy from that realm. So we'll just kind of keep repeating some of these terms to try to make it as uh, understandable mm-hmm. as possible for everyone. But as the clandestines are escaping. They get outside of the prison, and it during their during their escape, Cameron got kind of knocked out or wounded. He had come back to uh, come back to to his senses, but as they were getting ready to leave, they just leave him behind. Najma tells them he's not coming with us. Let him go. He made his choice. Now he has to go live with it, and he has a moment where Cameron's looking at her. He says, "Ami." She looks back at him. She's like, "Screw it, we're out." And she just leaves. It's like, "Oh my gosh, just brutal." <laughs> she just leaves him yeah. there, um, which I'm I'm sure it will be setting up his uh, ult- ultimate baby face turn. He was already trying to help Kamala before, but mm-hmm. feels like this could be someone who um, who could really help Kamala. And I don't know, maybe. Maybe we get yeah. a team of like Kamala and her three dudes, you know, like I, we might, we right. might get that, you know? <laughs> yeah. They're, he's def, they're definitely setting him up for a baby face turn. I, you know, I think he already did his baby yeah, face he, turn. He, he already frank. had. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, so now it's just a point where he's, he's essentially free to, uh, he's free of them and he can align, you know, totally with Kamala and, and, and you know, her side. Um, but, uh, you know, may, maybe, uh, we got a lot of guys here. Maybe one of these guys is going to sacrifice themselves. I, I yeah. wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't put it past Marvel to to do that. I mean, they are stacking the deck with uh, some redundant characters, if if you could say so. That that's, I think, a prime opportunity to to mm-hmm. do that and get some points for for realism and for um, maybe maybe shift things away from the Disney Channel vibe that we're getting from this one. So in the comics, there is one episode where. Or one part where she she gets Cameron and Bruno see her kissing Kareem. Um, oh. Like Bruno is at school and he comes back and he like sees it happen and so he's like devastated. So I'm I'm curious if that's something that will play out here or you know. But there def there definitely is like a love. What's that okay. quadrilateral? It's not a triangle. <laughs> right. is, it, is it a rhombus? Right. I don't know. You know where where, yeah. are, we, where, where are we headed with it's this? But yeah. Kamala now heads uh, back home, and she gets to have a, a moment with her grandma, with Sana. And Sana tells Kamala that uh, Muniba is cleaning up downstairs, so Sana wanted to get a little escape. And they have a, a little heart to heart here. 
Her grandma tells uh, Kamala, even at my age, I'm still trying to figure out who I am. My passport is Pakistani. My roots are in India. And in between all of this, there is a border marked with blood and pain. I love that line. People are claiming their identity based on an idea that some old Englishman had written or some old Englishman had when they were fleecing this country. How is one to deal with that? And Kamala asks, do you think you're ever going to figure it out? Her grandma smiles back. But what's the rush? So this was and and like the interactions with her grandma, which like they're the best of the exposition, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. they're just kind of quick and they're j- like. It feels like an actual interaction with her grandma versus the Walid stuff. While it's cool, it's like, how the hell did she just stumble into this place? And this guy's telling right. her all this stuff. Like it just, it seems less like it would happen. Like it's actually too convenient, right? To the story. I know. You know, it, like she, it, she tripped and fell into the the Red Dagger's hideout. You know, it's like, come right. on, you know. And this is the point of why she went to the the Pakistan. To find out more from her grandma So right. having these interactions With Sana are the ones that I like And mm-hmm. She gets the text From her phone It's Kareem And Sana tells her to go be young I'll handle your mother So Kamala and Kareem Hang out <laughs> At the joked. Red Dagger bonfire Exactly That's <laughs> a great joke And uh, he says look my friends are nice You're going to like them and his nickname is Chemo. She jokes with him about uh, his name. Your name is your nickname is Minced Meat. He said, "No, it's Chemo. It's short for Kareem. We all go by nicknames. What's yours?" She says, "Sloth Baby," so, which is the name of her YouTube channel and the uh, the sloth that she carries around. So they all call her Sloth Baby, and they sit down. They're at this little bonfire. On what looks like a small little beach area By maybe a, like a little lake or a body of water And they're Just sitting there Playing music, talking And one of the friends Named Faison says Are you ready for the best meal of your life And they hand her A bag of Biryani, which Is like a, a Pretty spicy But it's like a traditional Dish that you'd find and she's a little a little nervous, you know, like a little trepidatious to taste this because everything she's been trying has been really spicy, really hot, making her sweat like crazy. She kind of looks around and she asks if it's spicy and Kareem uh, laughs and jokes and she takes a bite and big, big smile. And then we get like some music being played and. I, I like the vibe here. I thought this was one of my favorite parts of the episode. Yeah, it, it felt very natural. And um, part of that, I think, was this great moment at the beginning that uh, we kind of just reviewed with, with the sloth baby and the, yes. the performances around that. I, yes. I felt like something about the way she did that introduction and her, her gestures and her facial expressions, there was a, a sense of like – Self-awareness and being on display and being a little bit shy—that felt super authentic. You're right. You hit it. It's like a shy, but like you're kind of—it's like a nervous excitement. Yeah, but also she's confident too in herself. Like it was a combination of all that. Yes. And she just imbued that moment with such realism. I agree. uh, That I think that that carried the whole scene. 
from and there. see like contrast that like we said to her walking into this really cool looking hideout but that felt right. like this her a young girl walking or like hanging out on the beach with these other 16 year olds that's real like mm-hmm. that's like I could totally get behind that the other stuff it just felt like we got there I don't too quickly you know like we said if yeah. Kamala's going to save the world like have that be maybe in season 2 you know like right now yeah. she can like that or like you know the end of season 1 or the end of the first movie can be when she interacts with Captain Marvel you know and that can lead her to what's coming next like oh yeah we saw the work that you did we need your help cool you know that yeah. that's but yeah hear it this part I loved the stuff with her grandma. I really liked, and like you said, mm-hmm. sloth baby, and and the whole group goes, oh cool, okay, we'll call her sloth baby, and they all, yeah, hey sloth baby, how you doing? Um, because these people don't know her, they don't know her name, yeah. even they've never met her. They're just gonna go with what by what she says, and they all kick back, and they've got their their big plastic bags that they're eating out of, which is cool. Uh, it's just. It's different. It feels authentic, and we then flash back to uh, a scene that we were talking about a little earlier that maybe felt a bit manufactured in spots, or just like inconsistent is maybe the, mm-hmm. the better word. Because um, mm-hmm. Muniba is cleaning up at at mm. saunas, so yeah. Kamala's mom is cleaning up after her grandma, and it seems like she's kind of getting a little bit worried that maybe her grandma's losing it. You know, mm. because she's got a lot of boxes all over. She's kind of hoarding. It looks like yeah. she's not really throwing a lot of stuff away. She's not really cleaning up the trash. She asks, why are there so many toffee boxes all over the place? And it kind of makes her feel bad when she finds out why. Because Sana says, well, they're for you. You liked them as a child. I just kept them around in case you came back. But I <laughs> may have eaten most along the way. <laughs> this reminds me, like, I can't remember... Where I've seen like movies or shows where it's like, oh, I got these for you, but I, and I didn't finish them, you know, yeah. before we, before we got here, you know. But it was the thought that counts. You know, you show up yeah. with, bo- with like a box of chocolates. Um, yeah, half eaten. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I this is like that part I can kind of understand, and even mm-hmm. the, you know, that's I'm sure most parents like, you know, you see your parent, your mom or dad getting a little bit older. And you you worry for them, right? You want to take care of them. You want to be you want to reciprocate. You know what they did for you. So she tells her mom to sit down, and she starts to give her like a a leg massage because she can tell her uh, sauna's legs in pain. (laughs) Sauna asks, "Is this a is this a massage or some plan to take out your frustrations on me?" And then Muniba asks her mother, "Maybe you should think about coming to live with us in America." So she brings that topic up. She can see her mom's maybe getting a little bit older, maybe having a harder time getting around. And then she actually tells her mom why she left. I wasn't trying to get away from you. I just needed a change. I was continuously being shunned by the neighbors because of my crazy mother and her wild theories. And Sana says, no, that's not true. And Muniba continues, even after Baba left you, so her father left her, You continued to cling to these fantastic theories. I didn't need your stories, mommy. I needed my mother. Now, I don't, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if it just feels a little disingenuous because Mm -hmm. we weren't really led to believe that it made Sana come off a little bit 
a little crappy I don't know just it, it made it seem like she wasn't she was neglecting her daughter a little maybe and I don't yeah I don't know if that was like a, a good direction to go like I just don't know if we needed to go in that route where she could have just said I wasn't into all of the fantastic I, I'm not even sure where I would have gone with it but it didn't mm-hmm. I didn't love love everything that came out of it there were some parts of their interaction that I felt like oh yeah Okay, cool. I could see that. That makes sense. Or yeah, maybe you're going to ask yeah. her to come live with you. But I don't know. Just it let, something about. And I'm glad you pointed it out earlier. Something about it left like a like a bad taste in my mouth when it finished up. The drama felt forced. I think uh, part of it was that the whole scene was two characters uh, talking about their feelings and the, relaying the stories of their past to each other. Yeah. Uh, and that was the main conflict. And then the end, I thought, was was really weak and kind of highlighted what I, I didn't like about the dynamic and why the dy- dynamic felt false. Uh, she says, I didn't need your stories, mommy. I needed my mother. And it's like, well, how long did these stories take? Like she wasn't her, your mother, like 24-7 beyond. She was just telling stories. She's not hugging and, you and like right. you and there's no roof over your head. I don't. I don't right. understand. That's what didn't make sense about it. It just didn't that like it didn't feel real. And then like because for that to to be real or you know it would have had she would have had to be this absolute crazy person who is nonstop about her stories. And that's not the person that we know now that we've we seen. Like, just, uh, she's like a, we just see her cleaning up these toffee boxes that she got for right. her daughter. Like, right. Thinking about her daughter, you know. I don't. Yeah. I, I, I she's like, maybe a little fanciful. She's a little. Um, Free spirited, maybe a little kooky, sure. but, but like we can tell just by I'd her rather, interactions that she's yeah she's not this person who's like completely absent, uh, and it just doesn't make sense that you know uh, Muniba would as the the adult and rational person that we know her to be from you know her previous scenes and the episodes. You know, she wouldn't be this wrong about it. So it just feels yeah. like it's in the writing. It's like the characters are being written in a way that uh, is not. Yeah, it's a little inauthentic and a little not really thought through. And she's like um, a, the line that Muniba state says is like she's like both smarter and tougher than saying that line that like right. I needed my mommy. Where it's like, right, right. I mean, I, yeah. I, under, I understand that. Like, we all will say that and think that sometimes. But the character of Muniba that we've been introduced to is this one who went through all this stuff. She left her home on her own, went over, created this whole new world. Like, she's a tough person, and yeah. she's smart too. She obviously knows some of the stuff that, with the bangle and with Kamala, and she knows there's some kind of connection. We've heard little tidbits and lines over and over, so I just, I didn't love it. Didn't love it. Yeah. As, uh, <laughs> that's that's yeah. being kind. <laughs> yeah. As Kamala comes back in to see Muniba at the kitchen table, and uh, Muniba seems a little bit distracted. Kamala, uh, I, did, I did love this line, though, when she asks her mom, uh, Ami, are you okay? And Muniba responds, "Yeah, you know how mothers are." It made me <laughs> laugh just because Kamala's yeah. had all this, you know, all this crap with her mom. So at least that that was one of the 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 lines. Actually, I probably laughed the most at throughout. As she tells her daughter to sit down and have a toffee, but I was thinking about this too. I was like, 
how old are these toffees? You know, like, yeah. Sada's been ordering these boxes of toffees for years. These things must be like 20, 30 years old. Who knows? Like, well, yeah, this company went out of business in the 90s, but uh, the toffee's really good. Yeah. So Kamala like almost breaks her teeth trying to eat one and, and her mom's <laughs> laughing a little bit like that actually i laugh that was that was mm-hmm. 50 million times more authentic than the little interaction yeah. we had just two minutes before from the other mother and daughter because it just sort of felt like i i thought about yeah. it i i played the math again i did the math real quick they showed us the boxes sauna told us they've been around for a while and then she pipes yeah. into them and it's like oh yeah these things have probably been sitting there for forever so yeah, it's a good bit. I just missed it because yeah. my eyes were still rolling to the back of my head. I know. I was gonna, no, scene. you're right. Like you're still going. <laughs> oh my god, you're, we're we're still cringing from what we just uh, experienced yeah. a little earlier. Um, then we get back to the uh, the Red Dagger hideout, and Walid and Kareem teach Kamala a little bit more. As uh, Walid lets her know, we believe your genetics could be the answer to why it is that you can shape the Noor here. Your humanity links you to the matter of this world, and she does seem again. To be really- th- this is this is another exposition scene. Sorry again. to interrupt. Uh, no, like, no, again. I'm, I'm like again, we're being explained something. The same exact. One character is explaining to Kamala and Ergo the audience, uh, and it's I'm I'm just so bored by it. It's a very <laughs> like, professor t- t- talking to a, a class of students yeah. kind of way. Too like it literally is almost when he pulls the map up, which looks cool. It's almost like a PowerPoint that he's right. pulling up. You <laughs> At know? least the visual like, presentation there. Like, yeah. Oh, oh, cool. Some like cool turn, the, turn the lights effects. off. Let's pull the slides yeah. out here. You know, and yeah, they did it with Shang Chi too. They did this like weird yes. water effect thing. That, like they're at yes. least pulling out some fireworks for the uh, exposition here. He says we may not have fancy armor, but you should know that. There's history in every thread of this fabric, so always remember where you came from. He hands her a piece of fabric. He says that you're not alone. And she kind of jokes, am I a red dagger now? And uh, <laughs> as Kareem tells her that it suits her, the glass breaks. Here are the clandestines. They break right through the ceiling, and they are looking for Kamala and the bangle, and they're no longer playing around. They're not having fun anymore. Their initial approach was to try to be nice to Kamala to see if she would help them. Yeah. Now, after she's kind of rebuffed their uh, um, their their request to help get home, now they're just going to go try to take this bangle from her. Yeah. And Walid screams to Kareem to get her out of there, and he has to battle the clandestines. He tries to buy a little time. As Kareem takes Kamala into a separate room Because remember they got to keep her away From the clandestines They cannot have access to the bangle Or everything yeah. could As Bruno would say go boom You know um, right. Walid, Kamala and Kareem Are able to get the better Of the clandestines initially And then escape the hideout They run out onto A tuk-tuk An auto rickshaw and we get a mm-hmm. chase scene through the city of Karashi with the clandestines chasing after Walid, Kareem, and Kamala. So what'd you think of, you know, the fight scene here mm-hmm. and a little bit of the the chase scene as we get to uh, the final part of this episode? I would say this is one of my m- most enjoyed parts of the, the episode. Uh, but it's still, it was a little janky, a little wonky at times, but at least it had some stakes 
I mean, we, we had some character deaths. Uh, the the setting of the chase was interesting. Uh, New. And, and, and it was fresh. Unique. Yeah. Yes. It, so that added an element uh, of surprise and uh, aspect of, of, of danger and visual flair that was uh, really much appreciated at that point. It was a little wonky what they were doing with like frame rates. I noticed like it, like to make it seem like faster, they would yeah uh, use a low frame rate and then they would do like a right regular frame rate and they would keep going back and forth and it was a that to me felt a little janky uh but i could see like it was it was well done enough um you know all things considered uh, mm-hmm. but still it just didn't quite live up to you know it wasn't something that i would be wowed at uh, you know if i went to, to the movies yeah you know i, I wouldn't be wowed by by it. it it's to me very tv level and that's that's what's disappointing about it i think it we want to bring that big screen, you know, experience and that the level of like a big event tentpole MCU movie to, you know, a weekly TV show. I think that's the the selling point of the MCU. And I don't think they're hitting those levels here. But again, um, I was happy with, uh, you know, a few of the story beats here. It, uh, that's I like the beats. Yeah. that that's yeah. more more than visually. It was cool. The setting was cool. It. And I completely agree with you. Some of the editing mm-hmm. and stuff with it, like the cuts and like the speed yeah. and maybe the pacing seemed a, a little bit off. The things that I took from it that I liked the most, one, kind of getting to see. Her. So they did tell us the story that she's getting better and better with her powers and with her mm-hmm. like use of the hard light and and things that she can do now. We can, We see that here where she saves this family. She kind of throws a ramp up. So she's. She's figuring yeah. things out a little bit more, which I like because that's something they're telling us. And we know she's a terrible driver because that was like right, right. off the bat. Like so, the stuff when she I like the car, call back to that. Yeah, too, she throws right? it right in reverse. That was that was and fun. Then she hits one of them because she's just a terrible. Like so, we know yeah. that that's something they set up early on and calling back to it. I like so. I agree. the The parts of the this that I liked was what you hit the story beats. A few of the a few of the 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 little. Um, tidbits throughout or what I enjoyed yeah. of it. Um, it was the that, execution that was off. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. Overall, it could have like, if, you know, if, if the chase, we wanted it to be like an a plus for visual and everything. Like it just felt like kind of like a C like from the yeah. looks of it to me, like the, yeah. the, I, I like the, like the reasoning. And like we said, the, the why and some of the, mm-hmm. you know, the character drives, and uh, the like the character stuff felt a little bit more authentic, but mm-hmm. this was one of the times when <clears throat> visually it was maybe a little bit lackluster as uh, yeah, yeah. You mentioned Kamala used her powers to like create this ramp that shields a family and it sends the clandestines flipping over in their car for a moment. And uh, Kareem and Kamala have a hard fall as Walid continues to really sacrifice himself and buy additional time yeah. for them. He really does feel like he's, you know, as a red dagger, he takes his role of, you know, helping everyone, saving the others, like being an actual superhero. He seems to take it and, and protecting Kamala and the bangle very seriously. Mm-hmm. She, uh, at one point, this is when she hides in a car. So I will say, I, and now I, I, I talked about liking the, uh, the, the driving stuff, but, she freaking steals a car, you know, like she, yeah. she's in a foreign country. She gets into a car 
steals a car and then hits a guy. <laughs> she she hits a guy, you know, like all within a few seconds. Like, so I'm just, I was playing it back. 16 year old girl. Like, could you imagine if Muniba saw this? She jumps in the car, steals a car and then hits a dude. Like, yeah, <laughs> this is exactly the type of stuff that her mom is telling her to not be doing and to, like, stay away from. And this is why exactly why yeah. her mom wouldn't want her having the bangle and wouldn't want her getting all these ideas from Sana. Yeah. And she still doesn't have her driver's license. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, it just reminds me, too. I was at the uh, DMV to get mine renewed just the other day. And I felt so bad. This girl walked up to the counter and she just started crying because she had failed her test. Oh, no. Uh, uh, and they were like, how old are you? She's like 16. And I just put it together. And she started crying. And, and then oh. the, the woman's like, oh, you just have to wait a week. And she went and hugged her dad. It was just oh. it, was, it was I didn't want to like look too much, but it was it just broke my heart. And I felt for her so bad. You know, she's oh. just this innocent girl you know that's your whole world uh, but, uh, right then <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your whole world. i was thinking about it like she was always so psyched to go there and do it and then she failed her test uh but that written that's a tough one by the way uh, i oh, digress it, though <laughs> no <laughs> yeah. i'm glad i love that i'm We're glad you DMV. Uh, <laughs> i'm glad you shared it um so yeah she she puts the car in reverse immediately bumps into a big like tower of crates and fruits and products and but she does uh, get the car moving, and she goes to help Kareem and Walid. As Kareem and Salim battle, she shows up. She nails Salim with a car, and uh, and Walid comes face to face with Najma. But even at the moment when he's face to face with her, he he hears behind him that Kareem and Kamala are in peril, and so he turns yeah. around and he leaves his back. To Najma, he throws a dagger that ends up saving Kamala and Kareem and giving yeah. them an opportunity to escape. And, and in doing so, Najma sta- literally stabs him in the back. Like, yeah. Actual stabbing in the back. <laughs> and he falls. This was a great moment. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so too. He falls right from the top. He, he's on like a second story. He falls off. Right in front of Kamala and Kareem. Yeah. And so and then, now, now the stakes they, have really been raised for her, right? This is a girl who was yeah. in New Jersey, kind of hanging out with her friends at Avenger Con, and oh my gosh, she's got powers. Right, right. And now people are dying in front of her. Yeah. The, I, I loved this moment I, as a story beat. Um, the, the sacrifice, I thought it was really well, well done. And, and the fall. The one, again, though, my one complaint and the thing that took me out of it is like a very TV or movie thing, you could say, but like a, a very unrealistic thing. It's like didn't check his pulse. He just goes he's standing like I know five yards away and just goes, he's gone. There's nothing we can do. And he <laughs> takes off. I'm, 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 I'm picturing like them cutting back to him and going, wait, no, help me. <laughs> like, no, he's like, no, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm not actually dead. No, uh, uh. It, it was like an Austin uh, Powers thing, right? No, right, no, right. I'm alive. You know, what's the Will Ferrell character that like falls I, down? And the, the guy who only speaks in threes. No, I'm okay. Really, I am. It it hurt really bad, but I think I can still be saved. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, that's who he is right here. You're right. Exactly. It's, you don't even go check him. Like, come. And I love how. Kareem obviously has this relationship with Walid, right? Like it feels like yeah. Walid probably was his mentor, you know, like yeah. the guy who taught him everything. And Kamala's like 
trying to save Wally. Kareem's like, nope, we're good. He's like, let's let's go. So maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe. Do you do you think he's alive, or do you think he really is dead? Well, I do think he could be alive. Um, yeah. And I also think that to be fair, uh, it could be that Kareem is just making that decision of even if there's a chance to save him, we need to get you out of here now. While yeah. would want to sacrifice in, himself. In so like he, a we have to Strange treat him way. as if he's already dead. Yeah. yeah. Like this is, uh, I've run the, I've run the permutations. This, this is the only way, you know, get the right. bangle and get her out of here. But <laughs> there, I thought the same thing. It was like, yeah, Oh, was nope, he, one yeah. look, he's dead. Let's go. You know? And, <laughs> and, right. uh, so Kareem needs to create a little bit of a distraction here um, and there Kareem and Kamala are able to momentarily escape the clandestines. Now they kind of run into a dead end. So they have to stand their ground and right next to each other, Kareem and Kamala start to fight off the clandestines. In fact, Kareem kills Adam and we see Kamala continuing to get more and more comfortable with her abilities Figuring things out here The Part of the battle Where everything gets elevated Is when Najma Takes a big swing at Kamala With a knife Kamala holds her arm up And the knife goes right into the bangle Stabs the bangle And it sort of sends Kamala Swirling through This that purple Coloring Mm -hmm. And how Kind of looked a little bit like what happened with Doctor Strange and America Chavez Where they would kind of be rolling through You know, different universes And all of a sudden Kamala's back in time She is there during the partition Like Mm -hmm. The the night that they've seen That flashback of the train At Karachi And the the scene here Wow It's something that if you read You know, one of those things that if you read in a textbook you would never in a million years be able to get the sense of what it was like until, I mean, compared to what you see right here in just a minute of minute and a half, whatever the last part of this is, where there's not even any dialogue of Kamala. She's just looking around. And mm-hmm. what I do like about this is it, it we ask a lot of questions. Like, is this real? Did she really... Get transported back here Because it doesn't look like people are Interacting with her a whole lot Like she's Is she some sort of is this like a memory That she's in I don't I have no idea Which right. I love But the way that they Portrayed this this night Where yeah. You've got this chaos Thousands of people trying to get on trains People saying goodbye to their loved one Tears You've got elder family members that are hurt That are injured That can't make the journeys People climbing onto the tops of trains Because maybe they it Like they can't get out It's almost like The, the, the scene reminded me of like the Titanic with the boats, yeah, right. When when the the Titanic well, starts too. going down, and they realize that they've only got enough lifeboats for half of Mister Ismay. Mm. We've only got enough lifeboats for half of the people on this uh, on this ship. And then everyone starts cutting the wires. You get people that start jumping on them. Everyone's going yeah. crazy because they're trying to get. Chaos. This is kind of what it it reminded me of. You know, this absolute bedlam. In yeah, Kamala doesn't 
know what's going on. She climbs her way up to the top of one of the trains, and the visual as we end the episode, as it pulls back, and we see her standing on this train, and hundreds of other people are standing on trains, and trains are like yeah. trying to go. I think they're like not can't go with all these people on top of them, and it's yeah. just. I was wowed by this. I thought they they did this very very well to whatever they were trying to elicit. I felt it. I felt it in just watching this little part. So for a lot of this episode that I at you and I have had many critiques with, that mm-hmm. I think it ended on a good note with just the scene yeah. and the feel of this. My only hope moving forward as we move to episode five and part five is. So we know now we're going to probably have to pick back up here in Karachi. I don't, I hope we don't spend like an entire episode here. That's my, that's my worry. We just spent the whole episode in modern day Karachi meeting all these new characters. Are we going to go back in time now and have to be introduced to like even more new people, new characters? If we go here for a little, for a couple scenes, I'm totally Mm -hmm. fine with it. I just hope we don't spend all that much time, not because I wouldn't want to go there, just because how much time do we have left? Are we going to be able to wrap everything else up back in New Jersey, Bruno and Cameron and all this other stuff? I'm I'm at this point getting a little bit worried about all the stuff that's on the table now. Yeah, we there we're spinning a lot of plates right now and do we really want to add another plate to it or do we want to start to resolve uh some of the plates we already have spinning and um i think that the stories need to kind of uh, interact with each other a little bit more her her american life and her karachi world they need to they need to coalesce into something that resembles uh, a greater story um and yeah, there's just, I think, a little bit of a disconnect with this episode to what we've been doing the rest of the episodes. And so if there's another episode that doesn't somehow tie things together, um, but 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 instead adds another element to the mix, I think we'll be spinning too many plates at that point. Uh, there's two episodes left, right? Are we doing six yep. episodes this? Yeah. This? So they have to wrap it up. They're doing a lot. Um, sometimes... You know, TV can, like like I mentioned before, they can bloat things and they can go too deep and spend too much time, you know, retreading things and and not get to the point fast enough. Uh, and then there's sometimes uh, like Spider-Man Three is a good example. Like they p- try to put too many villains in that movie, and then it just becomes bloated and kind and of hollow. kind of a mess. They don't. None of them stand yeah. out the way you want them to when there's too many of them. And there's too much going on. So yep. there has to be that right balance of uh, you, just the, the right dynamic that you're going to care about. You know, it doesn't have to be big or small. That kind of doesn't matter. You know, you can be just as invested in a small story as you would in a cosmic story. Um, it's it's really about, you know, the beats of that particular story and, and, and uh, staying with it, you know. Uh, whereas if we kind of scatter shot across a bunch of different stories and create this weird anthology kind of setup, uh, there might not be much to, to latch on to, or really like um, feel catharsis through when, when, when we get, uh, when we finally do get somewhere with the story. So I don't know. I'm a little off put by this episode. Me too. Just well, I in feel, general. I feel I, a lot. I hope we got different. through the, the slog of it. So. Me too. I feel a lot different this week than I did last week. 
You know, that's yeah. what's the very interesting part of doing these week to week versus maybe like yeah. doing a full series recap or like the way Netflix will sometimes release everything because you don't right. maybe you don't feel as much week to week, which I like. Right. I like the experience that we have here. Like I like the yes. the week you get the episode, you get a day or two to kind of like listen Marinate to it. it, you get to read yeah. some other people's <laughs> thoughts and then then it all sort of marinates in your head and then you get to kind of form your own opinion based on yeah. it like all the other stuff. And then we come and we come and hammer it out here. And then sometimes I feel a little better about it. Sometimes I feel a little bit worse about it after we talk it out, but I, I feel, and that's what they want us to do is we is, uh, is to feel. So we feel a little differently coming out of episode four than we did out of episode three, but there are plenty of positive things that I think if they focus on and just harness those a little bit more, I'll have no problem. I, I just, like there were some things, a couple things that were weak, right? Like we said, maybe mm-hmm. some of the the action and maybe some of the scenes. There was nothing that was like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. I want to turn my TV off. It just it felt not consistent and a little bit disconnected mm-hmm. with the the story they told us in the first three episodes. I hope it almost felt yeah. like like different people, you know, like different showrunners or different writers or yeah. directors like you could really feel it was a it, different director right and I'll like say you, that um Mira, Mira Menon directed the last two episodes and then the showrunners directed the pilot I believe and this was a different director uh, you I, could if I'm sense not it couldn't you you know what yeah. I mean like you could just you could just feel it so hopefully we can get back to where we were last week I think when we when we do get back to New Jersey and when we do Resolve some of the stuff with with Nokia and Bruno again. I'm gonna feel a little bit better about it because that's what I keep thinking about. I'm like, mm-hmm. let's get back to Nokia and Bruno right now, and uh, yeah. and I'm curious to see which of the uh, the love interests Kamala may uh, may end up with at the end of sure. season one. But no matter what happens, positives, negatives, we'll be here with <laughs> you talking about all of it with Tim Kelly. Make sure to give TK a follow. At Tim is not funny on Twitter and on Instagram, and uh, check out Ice Cream Fire, the music project that he does with his very lovely wife. You can give that a follow at Ice Cream Fire on Twitter, or uh, check out the Facebook page there. TK, my friend, it's Fourth of July weekend. I appreciate you helping us out here. I know it's a, a big holiday weekend for a lot of folks, so you go have a very nice and safe time with your family. And yeah, we got next week episode five yeah. um, within. Within a week, Thor: Love and Thunder is out. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll be yeah. finishing up the Miss Marvel series, and then we'll be heading right into Thor: Love and Thunder. We got She Hulk coming not long after that. So busy time, my friend. We've got a lot happening yeah. in this world. I just we know that not every single thing can be top, top, top tier level. But we want yeah. it to be as close as possible. That's what we want. We yeah. want to be greedy. They've said it. They've shown us what they can do, so we're going to yeah. always expect the most from them. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully they, they wrap this up in a, in a nice way. We we had a lot of nice things to say about the first few episodes. Still a few good things about this one. Um, we'll see. Will next week uh, ha- show some redemption, or will this be a, you know, a case and we're doubling down on uh, you know not liking this show? I, I could see it going either way. I really could at this point. I'm the the closest to completely writing off a show after this episode. Uh, in retrospect, I feel like uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was probably about 
on the, on this level. Um, but, uh, yeah, if, uh, if it doesn't get better next week, I, I, I gotta say this might be my least favorite, uh, Marvel show. And it took a, it took a, a strong, like turn a there. Because turn. I was pretty a high on it. Turn. Yeah, I was like, going to say, cause it did, it did all of the, the things that we liked the most about this show mm-hmm. weren't in episode four, the identity yeah. of it, the knowing, right. the knowing who it was. It felt very much like a show that was comfortable being a high school drama show. That was fun. And we keep saying low level. I mean, lower stakes, but I, I don't mm-hmm. mean it in that sense. Like it was a good TV show where she was dealing with a lot of problems that everybody has. And then it just, it fast forwarded too far, too far. Like I just, yeah, I don't want, I'm not ready to believe that Kamala is in a save the world place yeah. right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready to believe that she can help save her friends. Right. Or like the people yeah, directly around her. So I, yeah, I, just I'd be, felt- I'd be perfectly happy to just follow that story for a little while and get to know, know. her a little, little bit I, better. Yeah. It just I've does it feel again. like a misstep. It mm-hmm. just feels like a season two or a second movie thing yeah. here. Like after we've already had, we've already gotten through the first like conflicts with her and her direct friends. Like after we figured everything out with Nokia and things are going well with Bruno. And then she meets the next guy who's a little right, bit flirty, right. right? Like that's when it, the, 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 this should all come into play. So we'll see. We'll see. What yeah. they do in uh, in parts four and five, and you're always going to hear about it uh, each and every week on That's What G Said with Tim Kelly. My friend TK, you have an awesome rest of your weekend, buddy. Uh, hope Thanks you so have a, a nice time with Jackie and with Connor doing uh, anything 4th of July. And I look forward to talking with you next week and finishing up the uh, – the. so this is what, Act 3, right? The final two episodes. Yeah. This is our uh, – um, this is where – Things have gone positive in some, gone negative in some, yeah. and maybe in this episode because we got the the negative episode at least for us in part four. Yeah. Maybe that's out of the way, and now we can get into the the juicy and the meat and put a good bow on Miss Marvel, my friend. Thank Hope you so. so much, and thank I look you. forward to uh, talking with you again next week. Always one of the favorite parts of my week talking with Tim Kelly and uh, getting to share all of our thoughts with you out there. Don't go anywhere, folks. There's a lot more to come on this episode. Thank you to TK. It was a bummer. This was probably the most critical and negative we've been uh, on any of the Miss Marvel shows so far. Hopefully, they can turn things around in Episode 5. Episode 4 didn't have a problem with the going to Pakistan. It just felt like we just introduced just to everybody else. It was too quick in this series for it to happen. And uh, maybe we can right the ship in Episode 5. Let's finish things up with the state of Star Wars. Joining me for the first time, we have two new guests, Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster. I work with both of them on the broadcast out at Louisiana Downs. They're both huge Star Wars fans. Now that Obi-Wan Kenobi series is wrapped, we talk about the state of Star Wars, how they got into fandom, um, some of the, the stuff that we've been watching, and things that we're looking forward to. We take a big recap, look at Obi-Wan Kenobi, positives, negatives. It's the state of Star Wars on That's What G Said. Obi-Wan Kenobi is in the books. We're going to revisit the world of Star Wars now, and we're going to have a couple first-time guests on That's What G Said podcast. These gentlemen have been uh, having to suffer through hearing my annoying voice 
for hours upon hours for like most of the week now over the last month or so. Uh, they are part of the production team over at Louisiana Downs where I've been helping out on the broadcast. And it's going to be fun to chat some Star Wars with Trevor Hayes and Michael Foster, who both joined me for the first time. Trevor, buddy, you're the one that I talk to more than Michael a little bit. So I at least uh, get to hear your voice uh, a bit back and forth. So you get to annoy me a little bit too. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I, I find it funny that you always say that you're helping out on the broadcast. Like you're you're like one of the main drivers of, of what we do every day, all day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a team effort. That's all. That's all. Because I'm just sitting on my couch. You guys are the ones that make it all operate like Michael Foster over there. Michael, how you doing today, hey, buddy? Gino, uh, I'm doing well. I, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for okay. having me. Okay, so let's start, start off from the beginning and let's talk about everyone's level of fandom for Star Wars. So for me, I remember because I was 10 years old, 11 years old when the when the prequels come out. So when the Phantom Menace comes out, I'm waiting in line with my buddies. My mom, my my friend's mom comes and takes me out of school at noon. We go and wait in line all day. We got, we're camped out. We're watching it. And that to me was what sort of made me become a really big Star Wars fan. I had watched the, the older movies before, but I didn't live through them. I hadn't watched them. I wasn't a part of it when they came out. So I didn't experience the phenomena the first time. For me, it's funny because I know the, a lot of the times the prequels are maligned by people, but I, I think some generations forget that they got a lot of people like me and the younger generation into Star Wars. So even the silly things here and there was still my main introduction. Trevor, for you, tell us a little bit about your history as a Star Wars fan. Like, where did you remember getting into it and how have you followed along through the years? So, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. Uh, I, 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 I have I've been a fan for as long as I can remember. Um, I had the box set um, prior to them coming out with the like the special editions where they mm -hmm. beefed up some of the special effects and stuff like that. I had the yeah. box set, so the old set, which would have been the Han shot first set, um, and uh, I watched. Uh, you know, I I watched the hell out of those things. Um, you know, <laughs> put them in the VCR, roll them back. Um, I can't tell you. So at the at the time. Uh, Empire scared scared me a little bit. Um, I'm not a horror fan, and and Empire scared me a little bit when I was a littler kid. Yeah. So, Return of the Jedi was my favorite when I was growing up. Um, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the battle, um, the uh, on Hoth or on Endor and everything like that, and 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 loved X wings and wanted to drive an X wing, um, you know, fly an X wing myself. And uh, then, you know, I remember the special editions coming out and I think we went to see a couple of those in theaters when I was a kid. Um, and then as the prequels started coming out, um, I got older and older. And I think when the last of the prequels came out, uh, a couple of buddies and I dressed up as space balls <laughs> and uh, I was barf. I was I was barf oh. and uh, we went we went out and and did that um, like and there were people dressed up, um, you know, and Foster, I'm pr pretty sure you remember Foster and I went to high school together and uh, you probably remember Chris Stroop and he was having like uh, a yeah. lightsaber. He was having like a lightsaber battle down in front of the the uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, the the um, seating area before the movie had started. And then myself and another couple of guy buddies that I was with, there with walked in, and I was I was Barf, and one of them was Lone Star, and and uh, Chris Hefner, who also sometimes works on Louisiana Downs with us, 
um, was Dark Helmet. And the lightsaber battle ended immediately and everybody wanted pictures with us. Oh, uh, so so it, you know, great. <laughs> so there's, when there's I, pictures floating around somewhere of us. When I was in some of the musicals in high school, I learned uh, I, for for one of Pirates of Penzance, we had to take a fencing class. So my lightsaber uh, strategy really improved after that, Michael. Like I, I took my I took my <laughs> fake lightsaber fighting to a whole new level once I actually could thrust and parry and do some some fencing stuff here and there. Uh, for you, Michael, what, what was it, and what's been uh, what's been your uh, kind of intro to Star Wars, and give us yeah. some uh, some of what you can remember. Well, it's funny you. I I don't know when you, when you were just talking about lightsaber fighting. I it, I immediately thought of uh, the early one of those early viral videos, the Star Wars kid. <laughs> you know, talking about <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. And, and, and it's all at once very funny to see this kid doing these uh, Darth Maul moves in his garage, and at the same time, part of you's like, he's not bad. Yeah, he's committing. Yeah. Um, uh, part of you's me, like, that was me. You know, like part of you. Oh, yeah. We're all. We've all done. You know, oh, yeah. they, all part of us are like, I've done that. It's like, we've, yeah, yeah. We've all done that. We just <laughs> didn't record it. Yeah. Um, or, or at least make sure it, you know, didn't get out there. Um, I didn't. You know, um, you know, Trevor and I probably have a similar experience. I, um, was kind of slow to become a Star Wars fan as uh, a teenager, or I guess it was more middle school. Um, before the uh, prequels started coming out, um, I think I started getting into it slowly, watching the VHS because you know, you know, I'm dating myself. But oh yeah, um, we had the the trilogy box set, and uh, slowly came to love those. And then they did the um, what did they do? Like the remasters, the re-release of the mm -hmm. original trilogy, yeah. and that's what really solidified my fandom. So then I was so excited um, to see Phantom Menace, saw the Midnight Show. Um, and then had that that experience. You went to the you... midnight show of Phantom Menace. I did. Yeah, that was, was that was. You would have been, I believe, like it was eighth grade. Twelve. Okay, maybe. Yeah, a little yeah. Because I was that. I was the same. I, I'm I'm born in eighty seven. Yeah, so it was the same. Like I was yeah, there with I'm, my. I'm in eighty four. We waited. Yeah, so we waited all. I was I was super young, and uh, my my friend's mom had us there for the like the late I, we were i don't know if we were at the midnight but it might have been the 10 o'clock because i think they had a few earlier ones um but yeah it was and and that was i think one of the first things michael too where i can remember being in the theater where it really feeling like everyone's cheering and like yelling and oh, screaming and kind yes. of like the experience you know it was it was electric like that energy um the very few times have i felt anything like that in the theater um it was just after viewing the movie and that you and it was for speaking for myself, it was like it was like it was it was like talking to friends. It was like that that was good. Right. Like we. Right. Yeah. And, and everyone was like, yeah, yeah, that was good. We had to kind of like talk ourselves into it, uh -huh. um, you know, a little bit. That's kind of my experience. But they, the prequels have grown on me a little bit over the years. And I mean, Darth Maul. Uh, amazing. Yeah. So, so there's there's almost no more badass villain in Star Wars than Darth Maul, and Absolutely. do you remember do you remember those big uh, like cardboard things that they would put like movies and stuff into that like Blockbuster would have? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had one of those in my bedroom, and I used that as my laundry hamper, and it was <laughs> it was Phantom Menace. Oh yes. And like I would always turn it so that Darth Maul was looking at me when I was going to sleep at night. And you're just creepy. That's so creepy. Just staring at you. No, like uh, I, I like Darth Maul. So you, it wasn't creepy to me. I was oh, like, okay. yeah, 
Awesome. Good night, buddy. Good night, Darth awesome. Maul. There you Good go. Good night, DM. Darth Maul. Good night, Darth. <laughs> and it, isn't it amazing to think about so where we were then and now? I don't think anybody would have ever kind of comprehended then. Wow, we're going to be in a in an era where we've got these streaming services and they're going to be new Star Wars shows and movies coming out all the time. I mean, it just it didn't seem possible. We had to sort of keep up in conversations on message boards with comics, with novels that we didn't really ever know if they were canon. They were all kind of other takes on stories, but it wasn't all really under one umbrella. And now I think for as much as we can critique some things in this show or book of Boba Mandalorian, probably less critiques about that one for me, at least than some of the others, but it's so, it is pretty cool that we're in this era right now, Trevor, where, Oh my gosh, we've we've got all this Star Wars stuff coming out. I just I didn't ever think we would be here. This sort of seemed like one of those like sacred set to- uh, stories or texts, maybe for good or for bad. But we are getting a lot of Star Wars content. Yeah. So actually, I I, I love that you said it seemed like it was that sacred because what what I heard is that they had actually outlined this the season of Obi Wan that we just got was supposed to be the first of a trilogy of Mm Obi-Wan movies. Yep. And because of how bad Solo was received, they basically shelved it. And then when Disney Plus came around, they're like, oh, maybe this will work for Disney Plus. So there's potentially two more seasons of Obi-Wan out there. Mm -hmm. But you say it's like this revered text. And like, I think that's where like the Star Wars community becomes sometimes too toxic because Agreed. it's like, oh, you can't touch that and you can't mess with that and blah, blah, blah. But like Star Wars has always been rife with inconsistencies. And as a as a true fan that loves you know the product, you just kind of have to accept that. Like mm-hmm. Luke kissed Leia twice and then <laughs> yeah. they found out they were brother and sister. <laughs> yeah, it, just, it happened. It happened. Like it, it happened. It happened on screen. Um, and, and like, if you accept that, then you have to accept all the other things. And, uh, solo was problematic, you know, like I didn't need foster and I were just talking about this the other day. You didn't need like the explanation of how he got the gold dice that he hangs in the millennium Falcon. Like there's so many like little explanations that they spent time on that they they could have have been building characters a little bit more, right. Making you care a little bit more about those, those characters. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's. Michael, it's, you know, we get a lot of toxicity with people that want everything to be, you know, movie level, which we we would love, but we got to understand sometimes when we're watching TV shows that there are going to be episodes or maybe parts of it where it can't always be A plus 100%. I mean, every show we watch that's not a Star Wars show isn't always every episode, every scene, complete action. You have to build story. You have to tell tales. And um, I'm just, I'm kind of trying to come at it from as positive as possible because I do think a lot of times we maybe can take it for granted and say, wow, I mean, we went years, 20, 30 years without anything. Now we're getting all this really good stuff and people want to crap on it immediately. I think, Gino, I think that's a great point because, I mean, never did I think that there was going to be a new trilogy and then a force awakens uh, the force awakens came out and it was like oh this is insane and i think they're still figuring out streaming and how to do streaming mm-hmm. correctly um and, and you're right you can't it's just like you know i'm a freelancer 
It's like, if I have like two weeks where I, I have so much work, like I can't really complain about that. You know, you can't, you can't complain. It's what about you this. want. Yeah, exactly. You like, it's like the, the stuff's there and yeah, it's not all great. Like book of Boba Fett, eh, you know, that, but and I think that of, of the ones that we of, on Disney plus, I had the most problems with that so far. I mm-hmm. think of the of yeah. the ones we've yeah. seen. I just don't think it really knew what it what it was, right? It it felt it felt like through the series it changed so much. What it what it was doing for a couple episodes and then it completely flipped. And I at the end I still kind of came out asking like I don't really know what the point of the of the show was for the most part. Um there was some really good stuff, but I you know, I so I can understand like anything, nothing's and everything it's not all going to be perfect, but um, I think Trevor was hitting on it, man. For the Star Wars fans, there is a lot of real toxicity. We saw it right at the beginning of this series, right, with a lot of the the uh, the, the uh, blowback to the Riva character. Yeah. What, um, oh, I, I guess I'm not as as informed. What was the what was like the main point of contention like, with like with that character? a lot of the racist people coming out that didn't like uh, they, they they you know some of the same things that we were getting with the Force Awakens too. They didn't like the fact that there was diversity. They felt like it was something oh, that was being pushed way too much. And I think overall, one of my biggest critiques with the Obi Wan series was maybe with some of the things around the Riva character. And the motivations, not the performance. I thought she did a fantastic job with her performance. Um, maybe some of the, the her reasoning and, and some of the way they built her story. But uh, I, I try to be critical of the things throughout the show. But then at the end and at the beginning, every time, I'm always pretty happy that I sit down. When, the, when you hear the music, when you see the Star Wars roll up, Trevor, I, I still... East, I still always get that feeling, those butterflies. So I know for me, it's still not, it's still not lost on me. No, absolutely. And I mean, any time you see a lightsaber flare up, it, it takes you back to that moment when you were, you know, the like the very first time you saw a lightsaber flare up, and, and like and, and, and flare up activate. I guess is probably the more proper term, but. Uh, and it takes you back to that moment of of wanting to hold your own lightsaber and like have that lightsaber duel in front of people cheering. Um, it's 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 there's such a magic to the world that's been creative and the world is is problematic. There are things that are inconsistent and there are ups and downs and you know it's it's clear that some parts were not planned out fully and as scripted out as like say the MCU has been, but at the same time there is just there is a reverence around star wars and i think that's where some of the toxicity comes from because it's just so special to so many people yep yep so michael coming into this show what were you like so where were you sitting after i guess mandalorian couple seasons book of boba what were your your expectations were you excited about this show were you maybe a little bit cautious and like, where were you coming into Obi-Wan and then kind of where do you feel now? I, I got to say my expectations were fairly low, but I was really rooting for the show to to do well, because, I mean, I think one of the best parts of those prequels is Ewan McGregor. Absolutely. Like that casting. Like uh, I was watching a review about the Obi-Wan series and they had a point that like Obi-Wan really <laughs> and, and, and granted, I haven't watched a lot of the animated stuff he isn't the most compelling character, the most exciting character, but Ewan McGregor is such a good actor. And, and I was like, Oh, they got him back. 
yeah. I I will give it a shot. I I think they did some really interesting things with this character, and it was bizarre and cool to see Ewan McGregor on pra- like in like uh, interacting with practical sets and and uh, taking out stormtroopers, right? Because we're used to him, um, what taking out droids, green screen um, stuff, green screen, yeah. yeah, complete digital, and so. It's kind of it's cool to to see that um you know there's it 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 had hit, hit hits and misses for me but um overall I was I you know I would finish an episode I'd be like I'm ready to watch the next one yeah I, I was high some of the high highs and and some low lows um throughout but one of my biggest notes that I kept coming back to and I, I really felt it in the finale Trevor was what Michael was talking about with, uh, with you. And I thought he, he was fantastic. He showed a lot of range and what we got to see throughout this, this story, because it was a little bit, you know, I was a little cautious um, coming in because it felt sort of like Obi-Wan. We kind of knew everything that we maybe needed to know with Obi-Wan with Darth, where they with Anakin, where they left off, where they were going to pick up. They, I actually feel really good about where they left off again. I think as long as we don't see them interact again, right? It's like as long as this was it before A New Hope. But I I thought what they did with the legacy characters in this show, Trevor, was probably my favorite stuff. The Obi-Wan, Anakin, the Darth. I felt like a lot of those things hit really, really well to me. Yeah, and I I really like that that lightsaber battle and that final battle between the two of them was just is, almost pitch perfect. It was, it that was, is like a top five star Wars for me, maybe oh, top three, yeah. the, the, the right, Mike, Michael, the face, the, the, the half Anakin, half Vader. Oh, it's what you eye. wanted. It's what you wanted. And, and the sound, the sound mixing between Hayden Christensen's voices? voice and yeah. James Earl Jones's voice. Like that guy should win an Emmy for that sound mixing alone. Like that was, He's, so perfect. My girlfriend Absolutely. Stephanie, she can't even like handle it when we rewatch it back. She has to like go in the other room. It's like too scary for her. She's like terrified by it. It is is well done of uh, as I've, I think of anything in this series, Michael. And that's like one of the things when I think about the two or three things from this series. And that's why I think the the more time I get away from it. I think the more I feel a little bit better about it, we're talking about Obi-Wan now, like a week after the the finale. And a day or two after, I was still kind of playing, I was still plotting out the, the board a little bit in my head, right? I was like, okay, did that make sense? I want to watch A New Hope and see if everything adds up. I was playing those games. And then after sitting back and watching it once or twice more and then thinking about it, like all of the stuff with Vader and Anakin and Obi-Wan and their flashbacks and then their battles. I loved, I loved the stuff with Obi-Wan and Leia. I thought that was all really, really well done. And so I'm going to remember those things really like really positively coming out of this series. Yeah. They did a really great job of, of staying within the confines, right? Because there's only Mm -hmm. so much they can do that before they like negate something or, or there's too much contradiction. And I think, they stayed in that realm really well with like Obi-Wan and, and Leia and Obi-Wan no, of course knows who her parents are, but he doesn't reveal that, but he does give her, you know, little tidbits um, of information. Um, and then also it still stays, it still works with what, like the, the hologram in a new mm-hmm. hope. Yeah. It's, I think it's, I think it still works. It's like, it's like, yeah, she would probably be a little less rigid in that message if she'd actually, 
met Obi-Wan and had an adventure with him, but it's been 10 years. So I, I, I give it, I give it that pass. And, and I you agree. know, watch so, it. And yeah. I, I watched it again the other day too. And I think, I don't think it was as bad as we may, or we may have wanted to think like she did talk about help, but he was her only hope. You start, she, it did seem a little impersonal, right? That was maybe my own, like one of my concerns, but even at the end, he gives her a, they, they do have a nice way out when he says, Hey, we have to, we have to make sure that nobody can know that we've interacted because it could get us both in trouble. And um, Trevor, the, some of the issues I had with this show was with some of the newer characters that I don't, I feel like I like the characters. I like the actors playing them, but I don't think that we, we got enough about them. It almost felt deliberate. Like, okay, here's Roken, here's Tala, here's Reva. We're going to have them kind of on the chessboard here to help move around the plot. But we'll tell you more about them in and or or in these shows down, you know, the next shows that come up down the line. I wanted a little bit more about Reva. I wanted a little bit more about Roken. He kind of just felt like someone who was like a plot device to move things along. I wanted, I would have liked to see a little bit more about Jabim. I thought every time they... They went back to like the path and the safe houses and we got little looks at the carvings on the walls and some of the sayings. That kind of stuff was cool, but we didn't spend a whole lot of time there. What did you think about the new introductions of some of the characters here that were uh, characters that we don't know what actually ends up down the line with them? So I agree with you that some of it might be a little short shifted or sh- short, short lived and and not quite as much development as you might have liked on some of these characters, but Every TV show, every movie has to do that at certain yeah. points. Yeah. And and like Roken, sure, we probably could have gotten more and he might, you know, turn up in in uh, Andor. Um, but at the, at a certain point, like the more you develop Roken, the more you're taking away screen time from Ewan McGregor. That's true. And That's we all ag- we, we all three of us agree that Ewan McGregor was and, and Darth Vader probably are the two best things that came out of this show. And so, like, do you really want more from Roken and like, oh, yeah, I was a farmer and then I became a pilot because the Empire taxed my farm to the, you know, and, and my my father was kidnapped and put to work on a like like uh, um, what's her name from Rogue One? Uh, Jin, Jin Erso. Like, do you want something like that, like a backstory like that out of there's her, a better setting him? for that, right? Probably than than here there, for that story to be told. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you're, I, you're you're taking five minutes to tell that story when you could be spending five minutes with you and McGregor doing Obi-Wan Kenobi things. Yep. So, Michael, we were pretty positive about the stuff with Vader. Anakin, I mean, Caden Christensen was awesome. You and McGregor was great. Young Leia was so fantastic. Like they cast her. She was perfect. W- what did you think of some of the newer additions here? Reva, her story, she was a major player in here. And then some of the, the folks on the path. Oh, I mean, Kumail is great. Anytime, anywhere oh, yeah. Kumail pops up as playing, he play, gets to play the comedy character. He's going to add some, some life and shout out to Kumail, man. I mean, He's in the MCU now and in the Star Wars world. Like, yeah, cool he's double dipping. I know. Ah. Very, very cool. He was very funny. I was worried that he was he was going to be just uh, and they did a nice a nice job with like this misdirect where it was like, oh, it seems like maybe he's going to be a bad dude. But he's mm-hmm. actually he, you know, y- you know, he's kind of he's maybe slightly scummy, but overall wants to well, help. What was the Bill and- Burr character from Mando, right? He's kind of like him. Oh, a little, yeah. You yeah. know, it's sort of like that. Absolutely. Like they. I- good comparison yeah yeah 
That so that was uh, what I was thinking. Like, what did you think about some less, of these, uh, less these Boston words? accents? Less Boston accent for me. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. There's just a there's just a planet where people talk. Uh, <laughs> hey, what's going on? Yeah, just he starts yelling good. at people. Hey, yeah. You heard oh. about this Death Star? <laughs> oh god, that was terrible. Cut this, Gino. Um, so I I did like some of the new additions. I think as someone who is not totally caught up with like the animated stuff, I didn't maybe get to um appreciate the inquisitors as much um i recognize them more from uh because i played uh uh what's like one of one of the more recent star wars games yeah. um Je- jedi fallen order, fallen order. I think. Mm-hmm. Fallen yeah order. yeah so i was like oh those are like the fallen order bad guys mm-hmm. but i imagine they come up in rebels or maybe uh clone wars or, or something um yeah i i liked all the side characters yeah you did you did kind of want a little more in terms of like uh like Roken, I was like, I just I don't it's he just seems like a kind of a generic good guy. Yeah. You know, like like yeah. what's the motivation there? Like the stuff with the path is kind of fascinating. And maybe that is and again that might come up in another yeah. series, but maybe maybe they're setting that up as like a I don't know, it's just like a side project because that that idea of of saving the force sensitive folks, uh that is really fascinating. But yeah, ultimately you want Obi-Wan. And you want Anakin, um, and I guess, and I you also want Leia because she's um, adorable and funny. Um, and yeah, she seems, stole us. She stole yeah. a lot of those scenes, right? Like she just, like her responses are so witty, and she just seems like a younger version of Leia. Like that that was what I thought was one of the coolest things about it, like how well they casted her. And as uh, we're very lucky to be talking with Trevor and Michael, talking all about Star Wars and. Obi-Wan here. So, Michael, of the the series that came out, kind of Obi-Wan, Book of Boba, Mandalorian, we've seen a couple episodes now, sort of rank them for for me and the ones Mm. that you like, of of those three from, like, favorite to ones that you you like least. I think it's been a minute since I watched Mandalorian, but I'd probably say Mandalorian Season 1, Mandalorian Season 2, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Book of Boba Fett. I think I'd go the same way. Trevor, would you be? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's just Mando was just done so well. And I think one of the things and and this is going to start coming up when when like Taika Waititi and maybe I'm touching too much on what you want to talk about further down. But Mando is is such a like it's in the Star Wars universe. But until we met Ahsoka and we met Luke Skywalker in season two we never saw somebody that you already knew Mm -hmm. as opposed to book of Boba, whose title character and Obi-Wan whose title character is somebody that we have a lot of backstory about already. And so the world building that, that John Favreau and those guys did for season one of Mando, you know, it, it gave you something new and something interesting that we'd never seen before. And it was done well. And, you know, obviously that one is able to stand farther above it because you come into you know you come into obi-wan with these preconceived notions of who obi-wan is and who darth yeah. vader is and who and we know is. we know they're gonna be alive spoiler alert right like, also true we know, also we true. know they're making it through to the end so it does and they did a good job even in those fight scenes where we know what's you know that vader or obi-wan isn't going to be done here but you're you're right and you're kind of hitting around the point too where it is a little bit more difficult with these series where you're you're really in the middle of the story 
you know, we're like for versus for Mandalorian, Trevor, they had a little bit more like room to breathe. People weren't going, well, Din Djarin's going to die in two years. Like this can't happen. Or, Hey, he wasn't supposed to meet Grogu there. Grogu was supposed to be here. We didn't know any of these people. And so you're right until Luke and uh, Ahsoka, or he sees Boba Fett. We don't like, we don't, we're not really playing that game. We're not, we're not doing the math in our head. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, Foster said he hasn't watched any of the animated stuff. And I, I have taken it upon myself to watch the Clone Wars and hopefully get through Rebels before Ahsoka comes out. Um, and so I'm in the middle of like season two of Clone Wars right now. Um, it's something that I'm able to throw on when, you know, my yeah, kids it's really are good around. Because... They're short too. You can toss yeah. them on in the background when you're doing work yeah. and, they're, and they're kind of quick paced. Yeah, they're fun. But, um, you know, there's there's a guiding light and this has been this is not new ground that I'm about to break here, but there's a guiding light um, for Clone Wars that, you know, your your four main antagonists or four main characters of Clone Wars are Anakin, Obi-Wan, General Grievous and Count Dooku. Two of those people cannot meet because you're leading up to uh, Revenge of the Sith in which Anakin says, oh, General Grievous, you're shorter than I expected. And mm-hmm. that's supposedly the first time that they've ever met. And so you have seven seasons of Clone Wars in which two of your four main characters cannot Can't interact. Meet. Yeah. And so you're limited by, I mean, they can interact because they can talk to each other over, over, um, you know, communication but in pers- devices, yeah. but in, in person, face they to can't, face. Yeah. Right. You can't have a lightsaber duel between Grievous and Anakin because they never met. Um, and so it's you're limited by that and you feel the same way with not that you're limited by Obi-Wan, but they have a place that they have to get to. And you have this fine little niche that you're trying to put your new creation into so that it fits with everything else. We uh, we got to see a pretty cool, a pretty cool character arc for Obi-Wan throughout the series here, Michael, as you know, when we opened up with him. In, I try to call the episodes of this series part just because when, I, when referring to the movies, when you say episode, you know, one, it, you know, it starts getting really tricky. So I've, I've been trying to like fashion myself to call them part one and part two. So that way it differentiate from the, the movies. But part one, this was an Obi-Wan that was done with the force. His lightsabers were buried. I actually really liked the details in seeing his mundane job. The 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 meat yes. packing plant right next to the big like whale like creature and his <laughs> the foreman there who's just like not giving everybody their payment yeah. and I, the yes, details a, right? a sand was, whale a sand whale pop up sand whale yeah what yeah, I what I thought was, was <laughs> what I thought was interesting is the uh, a little bit of a correlation to when we first meet Ray yeah mm, yeah yeah that's a great point and they, there's so many of those that they do. Sometimes we can kind of roll our eyes when when they'll get a little cringy with things. And then other times it fits perfectly where there'll, there'll be a line or there'll be a shot where we can feel it. Like, oh, that was from A New Hope or, oh, that was from A Phantom Menace. And it works out well. And it's, it's it, the, the more understated it is, I think the better it is sometimes. And I, the, the, the details are great. We saw like wash, rinse, repeat for him uh, a yeah. couple days in a row. But he actually was the reason that people died. They came to him for help. They were searching him out, and he turned them away. This there was this very like um, 
the Jesus's disciples denying him type thing. And, <laughs> you know, in the first yeah. part that I, I kept, cause Obi-Wan kept denying the force and denying the, the help when Bail Organa called, it was, it was kind of, kind of jaw dropping and like jarring to see even in the first couple parts, they had, you know, a hanging, they had a kid's kid, the kid's neck gets snapped by Vader. It was for like a Disney plus show. We, um, they weren't afraid to maybe go a little farther than Star Wars has done in some other, um, you know, we see people get shot, stormtroopers fall over, but we don't really see yeah. necks get snapped. Yeah, I think it, I think um, it, uh, I think it was good to see some of that darker stuff because you do mm -hmm. have to remind people of the stakes Absolutely. and of the threat because yeah, in the original trilogy, Vader's just like choke, choking out people left and right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, and yeah, it was good. It was almost like, I think that, that maybe Ryan Johnson wanted to do something kind of similar with Luke Skywalker. When you want to see, when you see like your, your hero, you're revisiting them. They're down. Mm -hmm. They're, they're down. You want to see them make that turn and yep. be up again. Um, and I think that that part was done really well with Obi-Wan. Cause yeah, he has so much guilt because it was his friend, his apprentice that had this major hand in, uh, destroying, the Republic. Um, and so of course he would feel guilt if he's like, you just got to keep your head down. Um, and, and it's almost like, why is he continuing, continuing to live? And I, I have to assume it's just, you know, keeping an eye on Luke is the only thing that's really keeping him going at this point. And Trevor, we, uh, we are able to find out a believe in, in part two, when Obi-Wan has agreed to go search for Leia who gets kidnapped. He finds out, that Vader is Anakin. This was a piece of information that was actually kind of so pivotal good, so great. to be told through the show, right? Right. Just the moments of him finding that out and realizing like Anakin, he, he, he's he not lived. been one with the force, right? He, he's not able to see and use the force to the capabilities that he had years before. So he's not, he doesn't you know. He's not tapped into what's going on. He thought he killed Anakin he, he I think he thought he did away with Anakin and that he was gone sure yeah uh, I I and you know the development of their relationship over the course of it I think adds the, I mean and that's one thing a show like this does is it adds layers to yes the previously produced works and so you know Obi this enriched them for me it did yeah it made it better their relationship and, and I was scared coming into it that it could have been it could have maybe taken away from it and and you get some of that petulant child with vader like it reframes him because he's still young you know at, at this yeah. point he's still young and you know obi-wan is older than him obi-wan is the master over him um and so it you know you think of vader as this intimidating force of nature just like stomping down the corridors of um imperial you know star destroyers and choking anybody that you know looks at him funny, um, making dad jokes when he chokes Krennic and and Rogue One, <laughs> um, you know, and and you think of a Vader like just this intimidating force of nature constantly um, until he starts to turn a little bit, you know, towards the end of Empire and in Return when Luke starts to turn him back to the light side. But he's just this absolute force of evil. And one thing that I, I love about Obi-Wan is it sort of shows you like he's still a petulant child inside. Yeah. And, and angsty like, teen. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's not a teen at this Anymore. point in his he's life. He's probably twenty five, right? Twenty. Yeah, he's an like, XD twenty. He's an XD tween. Yeah, there we, 20, there we go. And, <laughs> and and what the one um in the in the battle in the finale when his when the voice was kind of distorting in and out and going back and forth and when it, the last line that he says when Obi Wan walks off and he he screams Obi Wan twice, but the final time that they scream Obi Wan, it's a lot more of the Anakin. It's a lot more of the Hayden because yeah, yeah. it's like. It's like the child screaming out at Obi-Wan still. And that I played that back over and over because that was like the most of the Anakin that came out in that last line because it was him still like you're like we're saying the relationship between the two of them and they waited. They held out Michael to go back to, to go to the flashbacks. And yeah. And but when they did, it's you know, we. We're going to suspend our disbelief a little bit. We know these guys are older and they're they're going to have some wrinkles and they're going to use some technology to try to make it look. But <laughs> yep. but I kind of felt it like I, I felt that moment. It really it, it was cool. And I think the actors seemed like they could feel the moment. They're like Hayden kind of turned around and smiled like right off the bat, kind of like, hey, we're back, you know, and yeah, I thought it, I thought it was pretty cool. I think I I think it was I think it was a good call. Um, I mean, like the flashback itself wasn't necessarily super interesting, but it was just like a nice reminder mm-hmm. of where they had come from and where these characters are like they're now like basically kind of like broken versions of themselves. Um, and and it reaffirms yeah that relationship that they had, um, you know, which which comes into play. And I think um, they did such a great job when they first uh, meet. Um, or I guess when Obi-Wan sees Darth Vader for the first time. Walking um, through, right? He sees him kind yeah. of walking in, walking down. Yeah. And it's what you want because he would be like horrified. One, I mean, he's, you know, very intimidating and evil. And, you know, I think he'd be feeling uh, super overwhelmed knowing that this is Anakin. Um, and this is and- this is the scene when he's like just walking down. It's nighttime and he's just walking yes. down the street and he's like, torturing people and snapping necks and stuff like that and like trying to like lure obi-wan out mm -hmm. trying to draw him out yep to to your point foster it he's he's seeing this monster that he's helped create yeah and um and and when when they fight they do such they do such a great job because obi-wan is shows fear and like just tries to i think he just tries to run away and he like cannot call him obi-run I nobody yeah, thought about that before, right? Obviously, I, I was the first one that ever came up with that. <laughs> yeah, he's running. He's he's running. He's like he's like I I cannot. You know, I I don't stand a chance. And Vader is is such a badass. He's just he's using the one hand. He's not. You know what I mean? He's, he's just fighting one handed. You know, he never. He, I don't think he ever does a two handed grip, except for uh, I don't know, maybe in in when their final confrontation, and maybe in Jedi, he does something like that. But it kind of reminded it, me of the character. Uh, the their first interaction sort of reminds me of like the plot line for Peter Pan, Captain Hook, you know, when in, in the movie Hook, when Pan comes back and he's not ready for the battle. And he's like, right. hey, go train for three days and come back and we'll fight. You know, it's sort of like Vader wanted the fight. He wants to beat the best version of his old master in order to say, like, I'm truly better than you, because what it all comes yes. down to. I think is you're right what, on that. You know where you were hitting at, Trevor, is that it's still the little kid in there. It's still Anakin who 
wanted wants to show Obi-Wan to prove o- to Obi-Wan what we see in these flashbacks. Anakin can't just win and be done with it. He's got to try to injure him, end him, embarrass him. You know, he's he can't just I got you. We're sparring. Now we move along. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to end you. And um, it's like you can really feel that in in this series, how how much Vader and the Anakin side of Vader is still like in a weird way seeking Obi-Wan's approval just to be like, hey, look, I am better than you, master. You know, he doesn't want Obi-Wan to really say it. He just wants to know him to know that I defeated you. And I got to give it up to Hayden because he was someone who was really maligned for his performances in the prequels. He had a tough job to do. He had to play yep. the badass villain, one of the most, if not the most well-known villain in like literature, in movies, in film. He Vader is Vader's, on the short list. Vader's face mask is on the National Cathedral in Washington, like, D.C., this oh, wow. this is this is like someone that you say Vader and everyone knows, and he's got to go play the teen version of this guy that's in love. It's all emo. That was not easy for him to do, and people just didn't like seeing it on their screen. He was the one that caught all the backlash. But a major positive in this era of streaming services, Kevin Feige's done it with the MCU, and they're doing it with Star Wars. They're really trying hard to rehab some characters that may have gotten unfairly criticized in, you know, in prior iterations of the, of the stories or the, you know, the, the content that they were in. So what you're saying is we're going to get a Jar Jar show next. We're going to get a Jar Jar show. (laughs) We're going to get the Jar Jar show. It's happening. It's no no pod racing shows, please. You know what? Jar Jar is one that is better in. He actually comes off better in the Clone Wars. Like when you watch those back, he actually stands up like he comes off a little bit better. And they do, they already tried to start doing that in, you know, in some of those animated series if you watch them. So I, they did it with trying to do it with Captain Marvel, you know, in MCU and some, some of the characters that you could tell they're trying to tweak. But I appreciate that. I actually felt good for Hayden in watching these scenes when he, when anytime we got to see Vader without the mask on like in the back of the tank or young Anakin again, I really enjoyed it. So I thought, I thought Hayden did a great job here too. And I'm glad that he was w- willing and wanted to come back and play this character after it was probably pretty crappy for him. He got a, like we said, sometimes our star Wars fans can be a little negative if they don't like a particular thing. Yeah. I think he basically quit acting. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I mean what like young, the young Anakin actor, um, I forget his name who was in Phantom Menace. I think he mm-hmm. basically had the same experience. Exactly. Like, yeah, it's like these, yeah, like I think I think I think Jake the fans something would have a problem. Yeah. yeah, Jake, Jake something or other. Um, I think the fans would have a problem with like anybody. Lloyd, you know, Jake because Lloyd. Jake Lloyd, yeah. And here's the thing there's a reason Empire is the you know, in my opinion, the best film. It wasn't directed by George Lucas. I know. Who who cannot direct actors? I mean, no. sometimes he can. Like American Graffiti is like an exception, you know what I mean? But um, and at this at that point with the prequels, you know, he had no one to tell him no. He had no one to rein him in. Um, and I think you really see the performances suffer. I can, there's very it's few rigid performances. In no, it's the, everyone in the prequels. Oh, and yes, they're good everyone's actors. wooden. 
there's no like and, and like you were hitting at this point too, Michael. It's it's a lot of green screen, a lot of digital animation. They don't get to really interact with each other as much and like really feel each other. It was it was tough for all of them. Oh, I'm sure those actors had nightmares about tennis balls acting yeah. to tennis balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was um it was just refreshing to get to see him get a chance to come back and play this character again. And I thought they they've done a really good job uh, with him in this series. And just uh, yeah, those first shots of of seeing him you know, at the end in the back of the tank, and when when Obi Wan says Anakin, uh, I think that was the end of part two. I uh, I I was I was definitely ready, and I was definitely in. We've talked a lot about part three, Trevor, which was the the mid season finale the middle of the series and that was where they had the first big face-off and that was that was also where we were introduced to Tala we were introduced Mm. to the path we saw the some of these safe houses and there there was some terminology in the series that I I really really love too like some of the quotes in this in this particular episode or this particular part I think throughout everything I've ever read watched listen to about star wars the best way i've ever heard the force described is i think the way that obi-wan told it to leia when he asked if she's ever been afraid of the dark and she said yeah and and he said the force feels like when you turn on the light like literal Mm. illumination and we've heard of like the energy and the force and the feel it ties all these things together but that kind of made it sort of simple for me this the the part three was a big a big part and there were a lot of things that i I kind of pick out of there that were really important that quote stands with me and the first time these two battle stands with me you know very very quick gino there's a deleted scene where you there's a deleted scene where you see obi-wan uh very meticulously talk to leia about like dna and metachlorians (laughs) he has a bunch of charts for her You know, he talks about these miracle, <laughs> these miracle pregnancies. Um, it's it's really bizarre. Um, I, I don't I don't know why it didn't make it in, but I should have. Um, it's on the cutting room floor somewhere, right? <laughs> um, I just, I just I, want to say we've spent most of the last you know thirty forty minutes talking about Vader and Anakin and Obi Wan and Leia, but Gina wanted more Roken. I wanted more Roken. I wanted more <laughs> Roken. I just, I like O'Shea Jackson Jr. I want, you know, oh, I yeah. figured he was in there for a reason. We'd get a little more of him. He, but kind of like what, uh, what Michael had hit, he just, he was there for very, like very expositiony, just to kind of like, uh, get a little bit more of the plot across or just to deliver like very obvious lines that we needed to hear. Um, and Tala was the one who we got introduced to here, Trevor, who I thought her, character and some of her story was the best and i I wonder if we'll see her again somewhere she's gone now but maybe we'll see an earlier version of her in, in a different one of these shows she was someone who we were starting to get a little bit more of she's a really good actress i think indira varma who was from game of thrones so now mm-hmm. we've got uh we've got her and uh what her former love interest from game of thrones they're both in the world of star wars now too right right tala and mando maybe we could see them come together at some point what'd you think of tala and uh sort of uh this this part and some of the things i was mentioning in the uh, the middle of the series here 
Well, I, I was I was sad to see Tala sacrifice herself, um, which happens a couple episodes after what you're you're at referring to. But yeah, I was sad to see her sacrifice herself because I did like that character. I thought her backstory was pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, at, at when I think I think I I listened to a couple of your podcasts when you were discussing some of these episodes, and <clears throat> I think you and it was it Matt that you were discussing this yeah. stuff with was you you were discussing about when Reva's like, are you a traitor or a liar? Um, and, and like the, her, her reaction to doing the things that she does to be able to survive, but also be able to help the path. It was just such a, a opposite to Rogan, such a yeah. well-rounded and yes. fleshed out character. Yes. Um, Self, and, like selfless, her motive, we know her motivations even more, you know, we got like, especially when she starts telling us in the, I guess it's like part five when she eventually gets uh, shot down. You know, she tells us right before about the little carvings that she's got on her holster, mm -hmm. you know, and, and what she was forced to do and, and really why she does what she does. And it, cause Obi-Wan kind of kept asking her, you know, why do you do that? Why do you risk your life for everyone? And um, I, I, I hope we see her again and re and get to revisit her because I, I did like her character of the newer characters quite a bit. And I think there was, a lot there. Well, yeah, and they, she's, they gave she's, her a lot to do. They gave yeah. her more to do uh, in script wise. Yeah. And that, um, and that actor just knocked it out of the park. And she's such an important character, obviously like Leia's an important character in helping Obi-Wan come back to the force and come back to who he is at the end of the season, as opposed to where he is at the beginning of the year or at the beginning of the season. But I think Tala also like her showing that and her sacrificing and, her showing the sacrifices she's made and then her ultimate sacrifice pushes Obi-Wan even further to, you know, recap, regain the force and, exactly. and, and become who he was. Um, she's and, a catalyst and, for him yeah. getting back yeah. there. Ab because absolutely. Michael, if we're doing the tracker, like we can start from the moment she's introduced, she saves their lives where she shows up yep. and she busts the stormtroopers from behind and she's in disguise. Then, she saves Obi-Wan from Vader with the fire um, when she comes back from the path. She saves them again when she goes in disguise and has to give the distraction so she so Obi-Wan can go and get Leia. And then at the end, she completely sacrifices herself to save them all. That's at least four times where she put her life on the line. Oh, yeah. And Obi-Wan or Leia are not getting out of this if it's not for her. It's, it's so nice seeing heroes who uh, are not Jedis doing stuff yes yeah you know and being badass and she's like Regular talking her people. way yeah she's talking her way out of a tense situation um she's and then you know she before she sacrifices herself she basically gives him permission to like forgive himself because that's ultimately i think what's lacking is there's just all this guilt that he has to let go and maybe she is the role model for him to um you know yeah. sac you know give himself to the force in an, in yeah. a new hope which i yeah. think is the which if you think about it, I think he's the ultimate victory over That's Vader and he, and Obi-Wan. Um, I mean, except for that first time that we, that they fight um, in the middle of, the, of this series, he beats him every time. And I think that's uh, fantastic. Yeah. Hey, um, Tala shout out. You were awesome. Thank you for uh, showing us the path. So maybe we'll see Tala again, a couple other things to hit on before we can uh, talk maybe about, uh, what's coming up in the future. So what ended up being a big, uh, a big factor for Obi-Wan. And, and this is, 
I'm going to relate it to Tala just like you were doing, Michael, is what Obi-Wan learned because of Tala, because of being in these safe house, because of being on the path, and because of seeing that there are people like Tala, still good people out there that are willing to put their life on the line or willing to fight for what's good. And I think the one quote and the one line that we keep coming back to is what inevitably saves Obi-Wan in part six. Only when your eyes are closed can you truly see the way. That's something that he saw written on the walls here. In part six, he has been buried underneath an avalanche of rocks by Vader. He's having these haunting visions of Anakin and Vader in his in his head. And he closes his eyes. And that's when he sees Leia. He sees Luke. And he's able to become one with the Force again. It's like the connection to Tala. Tala was really the one and bringing him to the path, bringing him around these people again, Trevor, it gave Obi-Wan more of a purpose. He had a purpose when it started this series. He was still thinking he was there to watch Luke, but he didn't interact with him. Owen doesn't like him very much. It, he didn't really have a purpose. Owen His doesn't lightsaber. like anybody. Yeah, right? Uh, except for Baru, and Baru is a badass for the record. What a badass she is. But <laughs> I, uh, I really enjoyed that particular line and how it came back into play to to help Obi-Wan when he literally closed his eyes and he could truly see the way. So I I think there's definitely something there they can they can revisit with, you know, Jabim, the path, um, is it, whether it's maybe be played before this series or after it. I don't know if it's something that they go back to in a season two of Obi-Wan, but I like a lot of what they were doing there. And Tala really felt like the one that got Obi-Wan back to the force. Well, I, I think there's a lot of paths that they can go, you know, going forward. It, it, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting things that they could, they can do going forward, be it, you know, season two of Obi-Wan where he, you know, joins the path and starts to um, take up some of what Tala was doing. I think that would be a very interesting thing to follow is, is that he's now out there trying to save force sensitive folks and, and get them on the path and push them along um, and sort of commuting from watching uh, over Luke on Tatooine to gallivanting around the galaxy and doing whatever he's doing. Um, and, you know, maybe we get some more Liam Neeson in there as well, just like force ghosting around with him. Uh, or, you know, I'd heard that possibly Tala was going to be in Andor. Um, and, you know, Andor, you know, they make it sound in Rogue One that Andor was doing some really, really shady stuff. Yeah. So there, there's supposed to be two seasons of Andor. I don't know that timing wise having Tala involved in Andor makes sense because Andor obviously his death leads right into a new hope, which means it's what 10 years after this. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that you can have two seasons of Andor span, you know, 10 years um, unless there's a, a severe time jump and Diego Luna is going to look a whole lot different. Um, but I had heard that she was maybe going to be involved in that. And I don't, I don't know if that really works, but I think season two of, of Obi-Wan, if that's, you know, a thing that comes to, to roost would be very interesting. So Michael, the, the one to five favorite, we, you know, we, we see the races every day. We see the odds up there. The heaviest favorite coming into this series was that we were at some point going to get a little bit of a Qui-Gon 
cameo. We we had to with the way they kept setting it up. Were you satisfied? Did you think it was enough? Do you think it'll lead to more? Uh, what did you think about Qui-Gon coming back at the end and how he interacted with Obi-Wan? Uh, I mean, I think it made sense for the character and the character's arc. And that was, and it, it made sense that, okay, he's reconnected with the Force. He could talk to his former master. I don't necessarily need to see more Liam Neeson. I think it'd be tough to get Liam Neeson on board for more stuff. Um, but yeah, I thought it was fine. I mean, he's uh, he's a pretty um, a boring character, Qui-Gon Jinn. I, I, he was, you know. The way that he was portrayed in the phantom menace he wasn't all that intriguing to be honest and what what i thought was kind of interesting too trevor was like you know is one of them gonna mention anakin or vader you know like remember the boy that you forced me to train and i didn't really want to and oh yeah like he's one of the most evil beings in the world now you know there's like this elephant in the room that they just nobody addresses which i know they're they're not going to but i i kept wondering that in my head like does one of the two of them have some animosity towards the other one because Qui-Gon is mad that maybe Obi-Wan failed Anakin in the tr- as a trainer? Or would Obi-Wan on the flip side say, did you set me up with this kid that we knew wasn't wasn't going to be like, you know, was could possibly be evil? So I, I have a couple of things to to sort of comment on what you just said. Is is one is with all the um with Obi-Wan coming out and all the Anakin and Darth Vader stuff coming back up is I saw something recently about duel of the fates and how that fight at Mm -hmm. the end of Phantom Menace is so perfectly named and so well done with the music. You know, we all love that anyway. Yep. But it, it, this show again, adding layers to it and reframing things shows you how important that battle with Darth Maul was because if Qui-Gon Jinn wins and he trains, you know, you know, Obi-Wan probably becomes a Jedi Knight and is no longer a Padawan and Anakin becomes Qui-Gon Jinn's Padawan. Yep. And that's the father figure that Anakin needed. Yep. And does, is that, is that the change, right? Is that a great point? And And I think, I think Michael, do you, cause I think if we were creating a story and playing it out in our head, I actually think quite like it, it felt like initially there was this b- uh, bond and connection between Qui-Gon and Anakin that it took a while for Obi-Wan and Anakin to get. Well, instead of, you know, instead of, instead of him, tr- instead of Qui-Gon training him as a father figure, which is what Anakin needed, Obi-Wan trains him as a brother figure. Yep. And that's a, a completely different, like, completely a brother raising a brother is a completely different than a father raising a son. The dynamic is just mm-hmm. way different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The role, the feeling and of it, the roles. Yeah. It's not what little orphan Annie needed. No, no. <laughs> right. right. I, I think, so I think no matter who trained Anakin, I mean, stuff was going to go down probably not as badly because I mean, I, I think I, 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 the thesis statement is, is just like the Jedi's have had their day. Um, uh, what, you know, they're, they're kind of become arrogant and they had this Sith Lord like in their yeah. midst and they didn't, they were compromised. Him. Yeah. yeah. They were compromised. They didn't detect it. And they, with the clone army, yeah. Slowly become, um, devolve, um, to where they have to basically kind of like, I guess, wipe the, the slate clean. Um, and story-wise, I guess. So with Obi-Wan finishing up, 
let's sort of uh if there's anything else that we didn't mention anything throughout the series that you liked or you want to bring up we can definitely do that right now but let's get some sort of final thoughts overall how do we feel about all the continuity now with this show are you fine with where if if we don't ever get another obi-wan vader or obi-wan leia interaction or we never see these major characters on the timeline interact between now and a new hope we'll start with you trevor are you good where they left off then kind of also give me some of your uh your final thoughts or if there was anything else you want to mention about uh about obi-wan before we kind of preview some of what's coming up next i mean i'm i'm good with where they left off like i really enjoyed the season as a whole um i didn't need more roken in my life uh, I, I really enjoyed the season as a whole. I'm gonna I, get I, you on the Roken train. I am. I am. <laughs> he'll be he'll be on Andor. He'll be on. I mean that that actor is too big to to not I, do no, anything right. else. He'll be in Andor or something, you know. But um, uh, I I really enjoyed where they left things off. At the same time, if we get them again in a season two or a season three, if that sort of thing happens, I would love that and I would eat it up. Um. I thoroughly enjoyed the overall of, of what we got out of this series really enjoyed being able to sit down and watch it every week. Um, you know, and, and like I said earlier, every time a lightsaber activates, I'm on board. I, I feel the same way. And Michael, we actually got a, a start. We started the series with like the most incredible edit of the prequels. It was like previously on. Oh, yes. And I yeah. was like, Oh my gosh. If, if they showed that to people that hated the prequels, they would have loved them. Just like, just what they picked out of, out of there. And then we started. So how do you feel now, you know, after having a week to reflect on the, on the series and uh, yeah. and what we saw here with Obi-Wan? Well, I, I just had this, this thought while we, we've been talking about it. I love that this universe, um, the story, the storytelling always tells us that anyone can be redeemed. And I think that's great. Yes. Like, like Tala was an Imperial officer, you know, a similar story to like Finn, you know, kind of yep. um, coming over to the light side, you know, um, there's, of course, we know that Vader can be redeemed. Absolutely. At the highest you know? level. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I love that. I think, I, I don't think they should do another series. I think because the, the thing that we were chomping at the bit for was the Vader Obi-Wan stuff. And they, and they did that. And I think where they left it, where, I don't think um, they could do it better than that. Yeah, could you? Obi Wan has the opportunity to take him out and doesn't do it because um, Anakin says, "I killed Anakin Skywalker." Yeah, and that kind of is that closing statement that um, kind of lets Obi Wan let go, forgive himself completely. I think and move on. But you're not so, interested in seeing, you know, he he's riding off on the EOP and and he's packed <laughs> his bags, and you're not interested in seeing where he's going and what he's going to go do and what so Liam me, Neeson's uh, going to tell him to I do. I mean, I am a little bit okay. I have a quick question, and don't don't hate me because I think this might be a dumb question. Did the Mandalorian tell us that Darth Maul is alive? It was Rogue. Uh, no, it was Solo. Solo told us that mm -hmm. Rogue. Oh, that Darth so, Maul oh, Solo is alive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> So but it's also that's also a thing in the cartoons. Oh, OK. Yeah. OK. So he's <laughs> he survived the duel of the fates. He has <laughs> like uh, robot mechanical legs now. OK. Yeah. Like, so, okay. like spider legs. Oh, OK. OK. I got two things very fast then. One. So he gets sliced in half, makes it to further installments. Qui-Gon Jinn gets stabbed once and he's just once. Gone. I know. And 
We get Reva's walking around after she got stabbed. Totally she fine. Let's let's talk about the real takeaway from Obi-Wan Kenobi. Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, cannot kill Reva. He no, tried yeah. twice. He tried yeah. twice when she was a youngling and he didn't do it. And he tried again at the end of Obi-Wan and he couldn't do it. Yeah. She's yeah. invinced. She's impervious to him. She, she is the chosen one there. She, her force powers are that incredible. The, I kind of, I'm going to split the difference between where the two of you were. I would like to see all of these characters back, but not interacting with each other. I want to see hmm. Anakin mm -hmm. and Vader in the Ahsoka stuff, which I think we're going to, I think Hayden Christensen is going to be in the Ahsoka series because if you if you do watch the animated series and the Clone Wars and stuff, Ahsoka is Va is Anakin's Padawan, so they have an incredible relationship, mm -hmm. and so that's something I think they were they're going to play into in bringing Hayden back in the Ahsoka series. If they were to do a season two of Obi Wan where it's Obi Wan like on the path, or maybe sort of a Mandalorian style where he's he's got some different adventures here and there, I'm totally fine with that too. And if they I would imagine they are going to try to make use of young Leia right now in the next few years because mm. she was fantastic and she really seemed to steal it for me. What Vivian give Lyra her, Blair, give her her own know, show, call it Leia and Lola, young Leia, right? Leia and Lola, <laughs> no, exactly. Leia and Lola, Leia and Lo young Leia, like young Sheldon, young Sheldon. That's, exactly. Oh no, Leia, Leia and Lola is perfect. Funny. You're right. And it's so easy. You can have her with the adventures out there on her own, getting into a little trouble, learning some stuff, running through dealing. forests, making bad guys run into sticks. It's oh, exactly. We didn't, we didn't talk about that. That was yeah. the lowest point. I that think, was of, the chase of the show. A couple yeah. of the chases. Yeah. Where they're, they're it looked like they're, a fan film. It looked like, Oh I no, a tree iPhone. is in my way. Yeah. Well, that, um, that was what was strange about this particular series is that there were some things that were like, wow, that is Star Wars movie level quality. And then there were a couple times where I don't know if it was that particular part or episode that got edited differently or cut differently or CGI or sometimes like we said with the way that this was supposed to have been a movie or multiple movies and then got changed up. There were some things that were really like lower level. Then, then the next thing would come out and it's like, oh my gosh, we're getting half of Vader, Anakin's face, and the voice, and that's one of the, the greatest things I've ever seen in all of Star Wars. And then on the flip side, we got Leia being chased around, and we've got a scene where it looks like the stormtroopers are purposely walking into the wall. That just, like, doesn't... It's like, that <laughs> doesn't even, like... I don't think I saw that. Yeah, it, it was... Uh, oh, you know what? It, it was It was sort of in the uh, in the escape when, when they put Leia under the trench coat, and they're, mm. and they're walking oh. out trying to escape, right? <laughs> and so everyone's silly. walking past Leia, like not realizing that Obi-Wan's got a little girl and the trench coat right next to him. You know, it's um, it just seemed like some of the blocking was a, was a little wonky there. But Vivian Lyra Blair, sign me up before she gets too old. Because right now she's at that sweet spot. I would love it in the next few years where she's still younger. Because, yeah, like there's only 10 years before she becomes Leia. And... You have a little window right now. I think the response to her was uh, was awesome. She was she was one that seemed pretty universally loved in the series. Obi Wan, we finished up Obi Wan Obi Kenobi one. So Obi I, very very quickly talking just Please. very talking about season two. I watched a review that jokingly said that if they do a season two, 
it's gonna be like Darth Maul's gonna show up and <laughs> kill his kill his anteater camel thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and that will start him on this path where he has to to fight Go him get- again. I I th- I thought that was really funny. And I actually think that could be a, a real possibility if they, so if they he, pursue that. He, he does fight him again in the cartoons. I've I've what? seen I haven't gotten that far in the cartoons, but I know in the cartoons he does fight Darth Maul again. And what's cool is they just recently did this. They put it on Disney Plus in the everything timeline order, including the shows. Oh, so wow. it, it's, it tell it you can literally start from the beginning with Phantom Menace and go through everything. It'll have Phantom okay. Menace. And then it goes, then it shows you, okay, this series, start this series. Then you go to the next movie, then the next series. So you can watch all of the content in exact order from start to finish. And I've never seen that option even up there up until a few days ago. Okay. Here's what, here's what somebody told me once. And I think, and, and I like it a lot in terms of like watching the movies is you watch, um, you watch a new hope, you watch empire strikes back. You get that reveal. No, I'm your father. Then mm-hmm. you hit the prequels. Yep. Uh, then Return of the Jedi. Um, and then I guess you would do all the the new um, Clone Wars stuff in in um, timeline order, mm-hmm. um, and then eventually make your way to um, uh, f- uh, f- uh, the Force Awakens. And I think that I think that's a really solid it, way. It makes sense to watch it with the story. I think, yeah, I think they call that like the the Razor's Edge or something like that. Yeah, like a, yeah. There's yeah. a name. It's got a name? Yeah, yeah, it's got a name for it. For like the, the My, way to watch the Vader yeah. arc or something. I yeah. saw I saw a woman on TikTok that decided to start watching it. She'd never seen it, and she started started decided to start watching it, and she started with episode one and just watching <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm like, what? That that is the worst way to hit the and like she she's posting her reviews and she doesn't know who these people are. She thinks that the little boy in episode one is Luke. Yeah, uh, oh. she doesn't know who these people are, and so like that's the worst way to hit the reveal of the greatest villain in in movie history. And like, oh yeah, it's, it's something my wife and I have talked about because we have three kids. Our oldest is seven, so she's like starting to get to the age where Star Wars might be an appropriate thing for her to watch. Yeah, mm. and you don't want you want to. Yeah, if you, it's weird because we we don't think about it because obviously there was such a gap in in between the movies when the the first trilogy and then the prequels are made but the the way that you watch and the order in which you watch is a big part of how you receive the story and and the the, the biggest parts of it so we're uh, we're in this world again now and we've hit we've mentioned andor a couple times so that's coming up on uh, August the 31st and I do have to to say for uh, for both of you guys now because I didn't want to like say it before we talked. I had to talk with you both here and make sure that, you know, you both flush this out make sure we're yeah, it, legit. It was a, I got a test. It was a tester. It was a little bit of an audition here too. My buddy, Matt, who has been doing my weekly star Wars recaps with me and all the episodes and stuff over the last couple of years, he is days away from having his first kid. So mm. the baby could come at any moment and life may change quite a bit. So I may need help from, the two of you, either one of you, when some of this next Star Wars stuff comes out, August the 31st, we get Andor. So, Trevor, we're not waiting a, a whole lot, just a couple months for our next series. And it, like you mentioned, Diego Luna reprising his role as Rebel Spy, Cassian Andor. 
and it will take place five years before the events of Rogue One during the earlier days of the Rebellion, expected for an August 31st release on Disney+. Plus. Well, see, if you had just read that, then I wouldn't have even talked about the thing about Tala being in there because it's 10 years prior to that. We would have just known. Well, I just pulled I, I, it was at the back of my ah, Gino, So that Gino. was it's at the back of the rundown there. <laughs> so, you know, as long as we got the right accurate information out there now that we know it. So what are you expecting? Do you have any preconceived notions going into this? Are you excited for this? And I guess with Rogue One, we're talking about where did you stand on Rogue One? Because that one's been kind of divisive for people. So as divisive as it may be, I love Rogue One. I do too. I do too. Um, I, I think it, I, I, I love, I mentioned the thing about Solo earlier and like the golden dice that are hanging in the Millennium Falcon, which I'd never noticed the golden dice in the Millennium Falcon until I watched the movie Solo. Um, uh, opposite of that, Rogue One, I think, does so many things perfectly to like set up little things in A New Hope. From the detail of like in A New Hope, it's Red Squadron and Gold Squadron. Blue Squadron, they couldn't use Blue Squadron because at the time they were using blue screens to, to put everything in. So you couldn't have blue paint on the side of an X-Wing. So in Rogue One, at the at the at the very um battle at the very end at, at Scarif, Rogue uh, Blue Squadron, Red Squadron, and Gold Squadron, all three show up. Blue Squadron is decimated and completely destroyed, so therefore they're unavailable for the Battle of Andor and or the Battle of um, Alderaan. Yavin, I'm I'm all over the place. Yeah, get it right, the, Trevor. The Death Star battle at the end of A New Hope. Um, so I, I, with I'm a fan of this time period. I mm -hmm. like I, this was some like Rogue One and the right before A New Hope felt like one of the periods that could be fleshed out a little bit. So. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to to head here. Um, what what about you and uh, and your thoughts on on Rogue One, Michael? Were you a fan of the movie? Uh, I have I have mixed feelings. Like visually, it's it's a great looking movie. Um, I love that, and I and I and, and, and forgive me, it's been a minute since I watched it, but sure, like the yeah. uh, the droid is yes. is I think the standout character to me. Um, like I just don't feel like anyone has a um a really good arc. In that he, film, and I don't really care about the characters all that much. Uh, I will give them props for that cr baller move to just wipe out everybody at the end. Yes, I did not. I was like, I was like, we know what happened story wise, right? That has to lead to a new hope, but I did not expect that, and I thought <laughs> that was wild. I can I can get what you're saying there, and I think one thing I we always have to be is invested in the characters. It doesn't matter if we're watching the office or if we're watching, you know, star Wars or wherever the setting is, you, the characters have to be a little bit interesting. And what you were hitting at right there, it kind of reminds me a little bit of how I felt when I watched Eternals and it was, Oh, there's a lot of really cool visual stuff here, but I don't care about any of them. And then a few weeks later I would watch Hawkeye and all of a sudden an episode in I cared a lot more about one character than in any of the characters in the movie Eternals and so I agree with you sometimes Star Wars can get a little too excited with the visual and not remember that the reason why we all really did fall in love with this was Luke and Leia and Han in the story that that they told there and when you continue to tell stories even when they're simple I think that's that's always going to be a, a big hit. And Trevor, someone who's big been a big hit since she was introduced 
in Clone Wars and Rebels, and then she was brought into the Mandalorian in live action for the very first time ever as Rosario Dawson is Ahsoka Tano, and she's going to have her own show. It's going to be a live action show, and there will probably and possibly be crossovers from Hayden Christensen reprising his role as Anakin, um, different villains that she's met and interacted with in those animated shows. We could see her interact with the Mandalorian and possibly Grogu. There's a lot on the table for an Ahsoka series. Yeah. And I am, I, like I said, I am watching clone wars right now. Um, and I'm, I think somewhere in the middle of, of season two. And I, I have, I've been told by other people that Ahsoka doesn't become likable <laughs> until like season three. Yeah. And so I'm not still like an annoying little kid. Yeah. I'm still not really on the Ahsoka bandwagon yet. Like she's, she's getting better. And like, I think I, the fact that I, I started watching this after I saw Rosario Dawson play her helps my appreciation of her, but like certainly early on in, in season one of clone wars, you're like, this is annoying. And you're trying to shoehorn this little, this character into this. And like, I don't care about her. I give me more Anakin and Obi-Wan and, and, it's it's getting better, but um, I think you know Rosario Dawson is an amazing actress. She's um, in everything too, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, she's another one who double dips in MCU. Yeah. Daredevil and, uh, too. Yeah. And yeah, she. I just recently rewatched Daredevil when like knowing that we're going to be getting it coming back, and yeah, she's so fantastic in there. She does a great job here. I was Michael. I was kind of like you too. I hadn't. I just recently, I guess, in like the last year went through all the animated stuff. So I had no like prior knowledge really of Ahsoka up until like she comes in. Then I kind of went back and watched afterwards and I got caught up sort of what, like what Trevor's doing now. So I, I wasn't waiting for her or I wasn't someone that necessarily knew a lot of the animated characters when they showed up, but I thought what they did with her in the Mandalorian. And when we saw her show up, I thought she would, she was great. She played the character very well. Rosario's awesome. And it, and just knowing that she's got this relationship with Anakin, that was like, you know, a an Obi-Wan Anakin relationship that she has. There's a lot of meat on the bone for them to explore. I'm kind of excited that Hayden's going to be in there with her because those two could have some fun. Yeah. It's almost like, I'll let Foster talk in a second, but it's almost like if Obi-Wan is big brother, Anakin is the middle brother. And then Ahsoka's little sister. Yep. Yep. Mm, that's, that's pretty, pretty much the dynamic. It. Yeah. Yeah. I need to, I need to get caught up because yeah, when she showed up in Mandalorian, I was like, I had this moment of like, I think I'm supposed to know who this is. Um, uh, but, but, you know, I enjoyed even, even not knowing anything. I really enjoyed that. I almost wanted, um, and this is getting off track a little bit, but um, I wanted there to be a little more interaction between her and uh, Luke Yes. Um, and Mandalorian. And maybe and maybe and maybe there will be more of that. I gotta say though, if there's gonna be more Luke, they just got to they have to recast the I character. The effects, though, I mean, are amazing. They're doing incredible work. Um, you know, Rogue One left such a sour taste in my mouth when it comes to the d- digital people. Um, and, and the technology has come a long way, but you just recast people. We can't Sebastian get a whole Stan. Luke exactly. We can't get a whole Ooh, Luke yeah. show or movie. It's got to be Sebastian Stan. It's got to be Bucky. It's got to be the Winter Soldier, who also played Tommy Lee recently. Did you guys see that one on Hulu with uh, with Pam? I'd and never Tommy? watched that. Yeah, I, I saw he, that it happened. It's on my list. I, 
And he also was in, he, he kind of had like a moment recently too, because he has Falcon and the winter soldier was uh, not that long ago. He was in this like crazy slasher movie on Hulu. That was like a new age version of American psycho, which was like kind of, it's like a comedy. It's almost so scary that you're, it's kind of funny. And he, he does a fantastic job in there. He plays an absolute psychopath, crazy murderer. I've but heard good things. I've heard really good things about it. He's and he's good. Sebastian Stan is good. And he he is the guy that I think if you're doing it, that people have already sort of fan cast. But Michael, you're right. If if we're gonna get more Luke, it's gotta be a different, it's okay in shots, and we get the feels when we see it, but the moment he starts to have to move and walk, like when he was out there with Grogu doing some of the training, you could see little things here and there. And it's it's hard work for them. So let's maybe let's get Sebastian Stan in here. I'll 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 we'll we'll get that uh we'll get that trending soon. Mm-hmm. I don't Trevor. think Mark Hamill's going to have a problem with it. Mark Hamill, yeah. like uh, he's from everything I've ever seen or read, like that guy is amazing. He's not going to have a problem with you casting a younger version of him to tell more of his he, story. He does extra cameos in all the time when like they need someone. He just goes and puts on like a, a stormtrooper, and he'll just be sitting there. And they, and people will always say like, look, Mark Hamill was in this scene. He just wanted to have fun and like nobody ever knew he was going to be in it. So, you know, they, they got a kick out of it. He, he genuinely seems like he, he understands and he kind of gets it. And um, we may see him or hear his voice uh, interacting with Ahsoka. We know we're going to see Hayden in there and uh, Anakin Skywalker interacting with Ahsoka. The Mandalorian is back. (laughs) Trevor and book of Boba Fett. They basically were like, okay, um, we're just going to bring back the Mandalorian in the middle of the series of the series. And I think everybody was pretty excited about it, but one episode, all of a sudden of book of Boba Fett just goes from being with Boba, seeing him trying to set up the rule and, and ruling Jabba's empire now. And then we're just back in the, the world of the Mandalorian for an, an entire episode. And we know that we're going to get a season three. So I, I think the Mandalorian has been some of the best, recent stuff that they've done and i i, I always look forward to mando because uh pedro pascal does a great job we all love baby grogu and um mando season three is coming up i think early next year yeah i mean i my wife and i cannot get enough of the series and, and she was souring on book of boba and then all of a sudden mando pops up in book of boba and we get a bunch of dark saber stuff which yep foster <laughs> if you haven't you haven't um watch the clone wars the animated show yet dark saber is in that um so there's some background oh, on that oh okay because i i what just if- i'm just at that spot gino in and when they're like doing the stuff with mandalore and the the duchess bo-katan mm-hmm. yeah you'll bo-katan i haven't start quite pop- gotten to bo-katan yet but like the the duchess and and the dark sabers made its first appearance but awesome. yeah and see i please tell me i actually please tell me Werner Werner herzog is in the animated <laughs> stuff because I I will watch it right now if that's the case. I mean, I'm not sure. Let me let me make sure. I, I really um, doubt he. I, is. I doubt he is. I doubt he is. He's he's <laughs> no, the guy. Yeah, yeah. No, he, I, I, want I know to he's see the baby hunting is. Uh, <laughs> he's so great. the. I love the conversation that we're getting to have too, though, because what's nice is that like everyone's level. No two people have the same level of star Wars, like knowledge or what they've watched or what they've consumed. And so everybody comes at it from like a slightly different place and everybody has slightly different questions to ask. And so I I thought this conversation, especially having it with three is great because 
Michael, you're you may ha- ask a question like about something that we didn't know and or that we were kind of maybe going to ask the same thing and somebody listening was going to ask. And so I I do think that it's it's given us a little more homework, right? It's making us sort of want to go back and watch some more of these animated stuff and and yeah. fill in the gaps a little bit what, so that way what, what someone told me about the prequels is that, you know, they they they've they're not as good as the original trilogy in my opinion and and a lot of people's opinion. But someone told me that the best part of the prequels is that it led to expanding the world through these other series. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Are, are really great shows and content that people really love. And and props to the creators and the showrunners because I'm like I didn't know the dark saber was a thing, but I still I didn't really need to know. I, I really enjoyed it. You were and invested. Also, like, you knew yeah, it was important. They did a good job of making it so I did not need to be in on it, but that I want to go and and check it out and learn more. So, okay, Michael, how about, how does this one sound to you? Uh, They just talked about a new series that is going to be in the works starring Jude Law. It's called Skeleton Crew, and it's going to be from the Spider-Man No Way Home director. They want it to be like a coming of age adventure film, like the 1980s. And it's going to fall. It's going to follow children Aged 11 to 12 years old, four sensitive children, and a lot of the Spider-Man team, Spider-Man Homecoming and No Way Home team up. This kind of seems like a George Lucas-y thing, right? Like, this is the stories that he used to love to tell, the real coming of age. So maybe something new with Jude Law coming in, and you've got these people who have been involved in some pretty good, like, sort of young teen shows and movies, I, I I mean I this is the first I've I've heard of it. It sounds interesting. I'll you know I'll check yeah. it out. I'll I'll check out all the the Star Wars stuff. That's the thing. Like you know I I I hope for the best. I'm not as I I don't hold it as sacred. Um, just because it's it's at the end of the day, it's like it's like a kids movie. I know, the, yes. the trilogy they were family films. Like it's it's okay. And there's going to be hit or misses. They can't all be you know great. We saw that with. And the Eternals. We, we don't I mean? want you. We don't want so. Darth Vader dying in in this, right? And then it's like, oh, right, nothing makes sense. But if you're gonna have, like, I would rather have more content than not. I yeah, would rather. Absolutely. And and Star Wars, like, if you like those books that they like, were like, no, those aren't canon. You could still like those books. You could still yes. enjoy the those comics, adventures. They're good. They're fun. Yeah. They're interesting. They're in. You know the last few shows that are a, a long way down the line we don't know quite as much about them yet but rangers of the republic a new series follows a group of x-wing pilots the same timeline as the mandalorian reportedly it will connect other disney plus shows like ahsoka and tie in a complete star wars tv universe is that going to be live action i, th- uh, I had yeah. assumed that was going to be uh, an animated show yeah so i think it's live action building cool. to an epic crossover event so that should be awesome Lando, the uh, not sure if it's going to be Donald Glover coming back, but a young oh, I hope, uh, movie. I hope uh, that would be awesome. A young version of Lando Calrissian, uh, the Acolyte, a mystery thriller that will take the audience into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the Republic era. Sounds pretty cool. And then a droid story, which is an animated feature. Um, so those are things. Um, it will introduce a new hero guided by the iconic duo of R2 and C3PO on a mission. 
They've got a lot of things in the works. Kevin Feige has a, a Star Wars movie that's assigned to him. There's a trilogy in the works of movies that's supposed to tackle completely new characters and a completely new story. We'll you didn't see. touch on you didn't touch on the thing that Foster I think are, are most excited about, which is Foster. Uh, I I don't remember Taika. Oh, oh yes. yes, thank Taika's you. Taika's doing a Taika Watiti is doing a Star Wars movie. Yes, yes, awesome. Yeah, I, that, I I forgot about that. I'm very excited about that. Yes, there are I think three or four projects that already are attached to some of the director producers and I think some writers attached to projects and he, yep, absolutely. That's one of them that's out there. And, oh yeah, there's a lot of really, really cool stuff. Uh, what's exciting. What's exciting for me. And I think Foster and I agree on this is what's exciting for us about Taika and, and um, the project he's doing is the rumor is that it's going to be completely away from the Skywalker saga. Yep. I think that and that's that's it's, the one. It's yep, not going to touch. It's not going to touch Tatooine. It's not going to touch a planet you know. It's not going to you know. That sounded kind of dirty. Have... I was going to say for a second, it's like it's not going to touch, touch Tatooine. Tatooine. I was going to say hands off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I, sand. I, it's so coarse. Yeah. They. <laughs> yeah. They always find a way. Well they always find. Well they always find a way to go there. to Tatooine. Um, well done. <laughs> yeah. Very excited for that because we do need some new stuff that is outside of the. If if Star Wars is going to survive, I think it does have to break new ground. You can't and you can't keep so, going back to the Star Wars like uh, legacy trilogy uh, the story every time. You can't. It's it's nice, and I think that's sort of what we liked about the Mandalorian was that it felt very new. They tied it in, but it didn't feel like it was leaning on on that uh, to operate. We all were like. I remember when Luke popped up in the Mandalorian, I was like, what Luke? Oh my, you know, like we, we kind of mm. knew it was coming, but it, that moment and feeling when he's walking through and you see, you see his ship pop up, fly up. And then you see him get out and you see Grogu kind of go over and look at the screen. And then like that, that is great, but we don't, it's, it, it's kind of like a, it, it becomes a crutch, right? Michael. I guess. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, and there's just so much of this, nostalgia um fueled uh, content and it's like it's nice to have these little reminders but your entire uh show and ip can't just be remember this uh you remember this what about this you remember that like yeah you, you got we need some new hey, original look over stuff. here yeah hey this is cool like it looked but we make it look newer than it did 20 years ago i it yeah we do need some new and the the things that they've given us new have been good and I trust them for the most part. I think they're in good hands right now with a lot of the people that are creating this stuff. I feel like they have a really good respect for the work and the projects that they're working on. And that's in both star Wars and in the MCU with guys like Favreau and Feige and how, how serious it, they, they feel like they take it, you know, they feel like they, they really want to do what's what's right by the fans and by all the people who consume their content and we're very lucky to have so much awesome content to continue to consume. So, uh, fellas, I asked you for about 30 minutes. We've uh, we've gone an hour and 30 minutes now. Give me uh, any anything you want to say or a final thought before we get out of here, Trevor, my friend. So it's, it's so cool. We are in a world where, you know, I can go right now and on Disney Plus watch every single Star Wars canon thing in a row in order. 
I just didn't know if I was ever going to have that opportunity. And I know that there's a bunch of new stuff coming after. As a fan of Star Wars and someone who had wanted more Star Wars for so long, I'm not going to be upset now when they're giving it to me, even if every single thing isn't 100% what I want, hope for, or expect. You know, there's a lot of politics and stuff like that that are are not making people happy and stuff out there. But we are living in a golden age of of technology and entertainment. And, and, you know, Foster said it earlier today. Oh, that's on my list. Oh, that's on my list. Like, that's something everybody that is a pop culture nerd says is, oh, that's on my list. Or like, oh, I've got to circle back to that. Or I got to watch that. Or I want to do that. Like, it is, there's so much amazing content out there right now. And, you know, it's it's difficult to get through it all. But we also live in a world where you can get through it all. Like there is the opportunity to to consume the options. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like when we were when, when, you know, I, I talked about, you know, when I first became a Star Wars fan, I had to pop in the VHS and then. Put it in my rewinder like that was a special, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're maybe a little younger than, no, than I, me. <laughs> and the best part about VHS is, is that the, the, you knew the, the VHS that you love the most had the most like destroyed cover mm-hmm. because you were, you were aware it taking it in and out all the time. My covers of my VHS were always ripped till I got the nicer you know, ones a little bit older, but they were ripped. They were shredded. They were in like little pieces. They looked like a loincloth trying to hang on barely around some big fat guy's waist, like my poor little uh, VHS covered. So, and it- the actual tape, if you watched like, like I would watch a part, a portion of a movie and then rewind it and watch that portion over again. Yep. And like, yep the spots where you would do that would start to get worn out on the tape itself. And it would, it would, it would have like a static or, or fuzz on it. Like when you're watching it, it would have static (laughs) and fuzz. And so like, you don't get that anymore. No, you just, you just turn on Disney plus and there it all is laid out in front of you. You had the program, your VCR to record stuff. You Mm -hmm. had to do the whole tracking thing, which I don't even know what that was about to get your picture clear. Um, and I definitely had uh, tapes, you know, as I, you know, became a teen, uh, there were definitely tapes that had parts that definitely got worn out. Um, yeah. Uh, good times. Uh, oh. Gino, it's been fun, man. Thank you so it much. It has awesome. been a lot of fun. You guys, I really can't tell you enough how much I appreciate it. Uh, we got to put a, a nice little bow on Obi-Wan Kenobi, which just finished up. Got to preview some of the things coming forward. And we got to dive into a little bit of the history of Trevor and of Michael and how they got into Star Wars. Because I always love talking to people and finding out how they got in. Like we said, everybody kind of has a different entrance way. And for us, for us three, it felt like it was, you know... Some of the old movies, but really us being in the generation of watching those new movies, experiencing the prequels. And I think that's kind of what continued our fandom around being able to be sort of younger and experience it like maybe our parents or the generation before us did with the first trilogy. And uh, so we got to be like children watching it. And, and we've still got that childlike love for Star Wars all these years later. Trevor, my friend, thank you so much, buddy. I look forward to talking to you again this weekend. Talk to you on Saturday over at Louisiana. Michael, I don't get to talk directly with you as much, but uh, we're going to get you back on the podcast so we can talk more. And uh, I'll definitely uh, text you and, and uh, send you some annoying thoughts about Star Wars stuff in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Gino, can I plug <laughs> something real fast? Yeah, I was going to say, I, you got to let Michael plug his podcast. 
I was going absolutely. I was gonna I was gonna ask if we had anything else to plug, but you it's like we all have worked together many times because <laughs> we you guys set me up right there. Michael, tell us about uh your podcast. Yeah, yeah. So it's a I'll do this very quickly. It's a comedy podcast. Um also kind of like a game that listeners can play. It's called Audio Obscura. Um, and it's just silly. I do it with my friend. Um, we're improvisers and we bring some of our comedian friends on. And we listen to audio clips and we take turns setting up a mystery for each other. Um, and so we have to, by the end, you have to determine kind of what's going on. There's fake prizes and points. Um, it's real silly, but, uh, and we try to keep it fairly family friendly, like PG 12. Um, so yeah, check it out. Audio Obscura. Yeah. I threw actually, when we started talking initially, I, I did hear some of your podcast. I threw it on before, but I wasn't putting two and two together that that was you when we were talking. So awesome. And what I like about that, Michael, is it's it's unique. You've got an idea. It's fun. It's different. But it's not the same thing that a bunch of other people are doing. And so it's very creative. It, it It's a good – when you have an idea for a show, you have to try to have something that's a little bit different and unique if you want to stand out or if you want to bring people to it. And it feels like you've got that. Yeah. I mean, we tried to do something different just because, you know, you can get like funny people together and be like, oh, let's just uh, talk and, and have a conversation. There's just too much of that. And then with the pandemic, celebrities, got you know, started doing that. It's like, yeah, we want we want something that's different. And, you know, we we hear that like people really enjoy to uh, listen to it, like on a road trip um, or, you know, or friends. Um, so you can like, you know, uh submit your guesses, you know, try and figure out what the mystery is. So yeah. Thank you, Gino. I appreciate that. Audio Obscura, the weekly audio mystery pod filled with improv and comedy. You guys have a website too, right? Yeah. AudioObscuraPod.com. Uh-huh. Yep. That's right. Perfect. We'll check that out. Have some fun. Make sure to download, subscribe that one for Michael. Go and give it a nice five-star rating and review to help them out, move them up the charts a little bit, get a few extra people to get some eyeballs on that show for Michael. Trevor, my friend, you have a good uh, few days. Uh, anything for you to plug uh, other than, you know, the uh, having to hear this annoying guy talk uh, coming up this weekend at the Louisiana Downs broadcast? No, nah, just horse racing, man. Like that's, uh, you know, I, I work for company called LT and global. And, uh, we produce the horse racing simulcast for Louisiana downs. We also do Ellis park, which, uh, opening day is July 7th, I believe. Um, and I think, I think you're going to be providing some picks for that as well. Yep. Uh, and then we, you know, we're, we're a TV producer, uh, TV production, uh, company. So we, we've got our fingers in all kinds of things all over the place. So, um, you know, just just consume sports content, and in some way, you're probably helping us. Well, you're going to hear Trevor and Michael back here on That's What G Said. Anytime they are willing to come back and talk some Star Wars or MCU or Marvel or anything that uh, that's cool that we're watching or we're, we're talking about out there in the world of, uh, of fandom and of TV. Guys, can't say thank you enough. This was such a blast. It was so much fun talking with the two of you. Thanks for cutting out some time. Oh, and I know everyone's got busy schedules. And uh, Trevor, Michael, I will talk to you this weekend. Everyone else out there, don't go anywhere because there's still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Big thank you to Trevor and to Michael. It was nice to talk with them for the first time. We'll get them back and have them talk some more Star Wars with us as we have a lot more shows and movies and Star Wars content coming up over the next few years. That's going to do it for this episode. Happy 4th of July to everyone. Hope everyone has a nice, safe holiday weekend. 
Sunday, Louisiana, Monday, Louisiana, Miss Marvel, State of Star Wars. We'll be back with you later on uh, next week with more weekend racing, more Louisiana Downs. We'll start previewing the NFL. We're going to go division by division with some divisional previews. Joey Cleveland, take it away, my friend.